the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, September 5th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 271. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree. It'll take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. What's up, everybody? Big Post Labor Day edition of the show today. I'm Ron. Noah's here. Yo. We've got lots of breaking news. We're going to see the different ways that the deep state is trying to keep Donald Trump off the ballot in 2024, including using the 14th Amendment. We're also going to talk about some mixed messaging Joe Biden had as part of his Labor Day speaking event, and we'll do a little bit of 2024 presidential primary roundup. As usual, we've got a great slate of guests coming in today. Save America attorney and author Christina Bob will be here. Donald Trump's favorite Substack writer, Paul Ingrassi, will be joining us as well. We'll sit down with Congressman Eli Crane, and we'll be joined by Trump 2024 National Advisor Chris Lasavita for the first time. But before we get to any of our interviews, let's jump right into the headlines and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! All right, everybody, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Rowan Noah's here as well. Hey. If you're a first time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long time listener, welcome back to America's fastest growing political podcast and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some Labor Day messaging or mixed messaging thereof. We saw Joe Biden was out, he defrosted him and wheeled him out on the campaign trail. He made a uh, brief stop in Florida after his Tahoe getaway post-Hawaii visit. He went on vacation again? He's always on vacation. Literally a third of his presidency has been spent on vacation. Perfect. Just remember the uh, circle rallies. Circle rallies with the the Jeeps or without the Jeeps? Both. So, you know, and it looks like the Democrats are already going to be focused on the general election uh, without naming him in name, which is obviously part of their strategy. They definitely did uh, hit Donald Trump on some policy points, which we'll hear from in a bit. But before that, the president was down in Florida surveying some of the damage from the hurricane that happened last week. Uh, he was obviously snubbed by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. That could be taken each ways. I think when you talk about Ron DeSantis, the candidate, failed candidate, flailing candidate, you know, the optics there to obviously you don't want to have a Chris Christie moment where Joe Biden comes and gives you a big old hug and like Barack Obama did for Chris Christie and you just can't get away from it. But at the same time, in the context of his job as a governor, uh, when the president of the United States comes down and is offering federal assistance, you probably do want to do some kind of a joint presser or whatever, but that's neither here nor there. And, and again, thank God I'm not a strategist for uh, Team DeSantis because I wouldn't have a job next year. Do they have any? <laughs> well, they're running out fast and firing everybody just as quickly as possible. Uh, Joe Biden, while in Florida, was asked about another disaster area, one he promised to visit and hasn't yet. Let's check it out. I said in March that you would go to East Palestine, Ohio. You came here. How come you haven't gone to East Palestine yet? Well, I haven't had the occasion to go to East Palestine. There's a lot going on here, and I just haven't been able to break. I was thinking whether I'd go to East Palestine this week, but I then was reminded I've got to go literally around the world. I'm going from uh, from Washington to India to Vietnam to 
And so I, it's going to be a while. But uh, we're making sure that East Palestine has what they need materially in order to deal with their problems. So this is after he went on vacation? Yes. So he's just going to omit that part and then mention another slew of places that also aren't America. Perfect. And he stopped short. I don't know if you noticed, he stopped himself short of just saying what the last destination will be. And we talked about it on the show last week. That'll be his stop in Alaska, uh, where he'll observe the 9-11 memorial holiday. Hmm. Absolutely despicable. At least that's in America. I'm sure the people in East Palestine, Ohio, uh, were, were thankful that he said at some point he might make it over to East Palestine. Yeah, there's been a lot going on. <laughs> a lot of vacations. One of the biggest things that uh, I think we need to take into account is one of the items I feel is really hurting Donald Trump campaign related right now, uh, just due to the amount of lawfare he's incurred, is the fact that he probably hasn't been able to get out as much as he'd like to. Uh, We do know that the rallies cost an enormous amount of money, uh, over half a million dollars per event, but getting into some of these battleground states at some point of the Republican primary season is going to be critical to his success in the general election cycle. I just want to remind everybody or for our listenership that doesn't know, Donald Trump was the only person back in 2016 to break through the blue wall and and win the Rust Belt in decades. And it's going to be critical to him having success at the ballot box in November of 2024. Joe Biden did make a, I guess you could call it campaign-related stop in Wisconsin recently, and then showed up in Philadelphia yesterday. We know Pennsylvania is one of the biggest battlegrounds of them all to uh, hype up Bidenomics and talk about his longstanding relationship with labor unions. Let's hear it. You know, there are a lot of politicians in this country who don't know how to say the word union. They talk about labor. They don't say union. It's union. I'm one of them. I'm proud to say union. I'm oh. proud to be the most pro-union president, according to the experts about in American history. What? And, I, and by the way, I make no bones about that. Yeah. Folks in this labor day, let me tell you what we're celebrating. We're celebrating jobs. I got no bones in my body. Good-paying jobs. Jobs you can raise the family on. Union jobs. Man. You've heard me say it before, but my dad used to have an expression, I swear to God. He'd say, Joey, a job's about a lot more than a paycheck, for real. It's about a lot more than a paycheck. It's about your dignity. It's about respect. It's about being able to look your kidney on his hand. It's going to be okay and mean it when you say it. What about his kidneys? And he was right. And I'm determined to make that a reality for every family in this country. Oof. As you can tell from that completely coherent banter that joe biden was professing on stage he's getting better you know what else was sad was that no, he's not i guess they had agreed before he spoke there because there was going to be a labor day parade and he was going to be at the front holding like the rope with all of the other labor day type iconic figures in the parade that he, he, was, he was going to be the band leader that he wasn't going to do it well yeah because it'd be you know those movies where like everybody in the 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 marching band, like one guy falls over and they just trample him to death. Mm-hmm. That would be what would happen. So at the end, people were like, he asked the people if, should I do it? <laughs> Did they say yes? Well, I mean, there was some cheering and jeering, but he ran down over. Well, he, he, he took a step back from the podium. Then he like, for a gag, ran down the steps. And everybody was like, yay. All the five people there were like, yay. He ran down the steps? So much to the Secret Service's dismay, he wound up doing it anyways. Like, how much of a run did he do down the steps? Because that could have been really good. His little trot. 
I guess they had them all zipped up on whatever now that day. Part of the messaging, uh, which I think is is more important to listen to, are, are things that Joe Biden is starting to hit Donald Trump on, especially on the campaign trail. Even more importantly, within the battleground states, as here as he was talking in Philadelphia. Let's hear this clip, and then uh, we'll talk about it. We also passed the bipartisan infrastructure law. You can't have the strongest economy in the world oh. with a second-rate infrastructure. Can you believe we used to have the best infrastructure in the world, and then we fell to number 13 in the world, roads, bridges, entered the whole deal. 13, the United States of America, 13th in the world. But guess what? Guess what? The great real estate builder, the last guy here, he didn't build a damn thing. Under my predecessor, Infrastructure Week became a punchline. On my watch, infrastructure has been a decade and it's a headline. And folks, mm. we're investing in America, in our roads, bridges, ports. The last guy who was here was a builder and he didn't build anything. Except the strongest economy and most prolific period of our time without war in decades. I also built about 500 miles of border wall. Yeah, that's not a road, though. I mean, there's a road next to the wall. There you go. But it might have already been there. Mm, good point. <laughs> Smuggler's going to smuggle. Yeah. God, he is an embarrassment. Like, how? The only thing that I could possibly think is that he actually believes the shit that he's saying. Because he's just a fucking... Completely insulated. Completely insulated old man who's getting, like, Olympic... Levels of smoke blowing up his ass. Yeah. And other medications. You think they do in the ass? <laughs> so as a, I'm sure Donald Trump will hit Joe Biden on this this week in one of his campaign-esque videos from <laughs> Bedminster. Can't wait. The Trump team was quick to put out an official statement. This coming from uh, Steak for Breakfast enjoyer Stephen Chong, Donald Trump's scheduler extraordinaire. It's a statement on the Biden crime family never building anything except a grift machine. <laughs> Nice. Crooked Joe Biden is the destroyer of American jobs and continues to fuel runaway inflation with reckless big government spending. The only thing he's built is padding the bank accounts of the Biden crime family mm. by selling out this country to foreign enemies for their own financial gain. Joe Biden and his son Hunter sold access to the highest levels of government and to the highest bidder, which posed a threat to our national security. By contrast, Donald Trump passed record-setting tax relief for the middle class, doubled the child tax credit, slashed more job-killing regulations than any administration had ever done before. Real wages increased and the median household income reached the highest levels in the history of our country, while poverty reached an all-time record low. President Trump produced a booming economic recovery and record low unemployment for African Americans, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans, and women. End quote, Stephen Chong, Trump campaign spokesperson. Yeah. Sounds, so sounds about right. Yeah. You'd think. Well, I mean when <laughs> this is the messaging that they're going to put out there and they're going to have the entire apparatus of the mainstream everything to echo it. Yeah, it, it's such bullshit because they're going to go continue to say that that the most jobs created and blah 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 blah. So yeah, that's because everybody has like two or three jobs now just to fucking survive. But they're supposed to be proud of those jobs, and, and when their kids ask them, they're supposed to be able to tell them that they're going to be all right and mean it because of all those jobs. Uh, hopefully, one out of three of your jobs is union. Huh? Say the word. I got no bones. Yeah. 
and we also have to <laughs> revert back to the Time Magazine article, you know, the, the plot to insulate or secure and stop Donald Trump from winning the 2020. National labor unions were the biggest complicit actors in helping Joe Biden oh, yeah. set up a nationwide, you know, vote scam, whatever. And wouldn't it make more sense that the unions would want American manufacturing here in the United States for their fucking workers? Wouldn't that be good? Isn't that what Trump wanted to do? A Wall Street Journal poll that came out yesterday, 75% of those polled think that Joe Biden's too old to run for re-election. Only 36% of those voters think that he's got the mental capacity to last another term. He's too old to drive a car, let yeah. alone the country. And we're here on a Tuesday morning on the West Coast. He His approval rating for the day sits at 40% nationally. Ouch. Some of the other things, you know... He's been making stops in places like Wisconsin and Michigan where the auto industry is still there. And the government's assault on the auto industry in regards to regulations and then the shoving the EV-powered vehicles down everyone's throats, especially in these Democrat-ran states where they put like a timestamp of 2035 is, you know, they won't make gas-powered cars in those states anymore. And if you can expect that they're going to make EV-powered cars... A thing a for thing. everyone? No, but if you, if you think they're going to make them in the United States, like we're already having the precious metals and stuff for the batteries are being mined by children and wherever the fuck. Like, do you think they're going to build the cars? Like, ship all that stuff? Like, why not just ship the car? One one shot. Boom. Got bada bing, bada boom. A little tax and tariff? Yeah. Yep. He also plans on importing hundreds of thousands of visa workers to do the jobs that you know, Americans can't work right now because they're already working three. How are unions behind this guy whatsoever? They like He's going to decimate the entire auto, auto industry in the United States. I'm glad you asked that question because you want to know what my mo uh, next point is. It came out. It was a part of a New York Times article, and it was talking about inflation this week. So the Inflation Reduction Act made the bosses of all these mega corporations absolutely rich. Yeah. It's so funny. It never trickled down to the actual workers whose dollar is worth a whole lot less under Joe Biden, nearly 70 cents. Well, they they probably got like a pizza party or something. Anytime you need morale picked up. With <laughs> I mean, I like pizza. Bussing the Dominios. Oh, Dominios. And if anybody's forgot about the crisis down on the southern border, you know, DHS has, has intercepted more illegals over the last couple of weeks than they had for the entirety of the uh, previous several months in this fiscal year. In addition to that, they released a number this week that said there have been 2.5 million getaways throughout the course of the Biden administration so far. It's a lot. Not to mention the ones that aren't being reported because they've conflicted how they report them now. So the, what is it, the CBP-1 app or something like mm -hmm. that? Which basically just means that, yes, these people are still coming in with fraudulent asylum claims, but... And illegally. Now we're not going to count them because they used an app. Oh, sounds like record lows now. There's an app for that. Mm. Last piece I've got down on the southern border right here is that, uh, I don't know if you saw, there's been a a tribute erected to ending walled-off borders. Oh, yeah, they took part of the Berlin Wall and put it in Mexico. Perfect. How nice. Because that, that's totally relatable. So right before you hop over the wall on the U.S. southern border, you can do touch, a, touch the Berlin Wall for luck. You can do a kickflip off that one. Oh, gosh. Well, I saw... Uh, Occasional Kevin McCarthy boyfriend and roommate, Frank, <laughs> Frank Luntz was on the news this weekend, and he was talking about the non-race on the Democrat side where, you know, even though 
RFK Jr. has not been allowed a national platform or Secret Service or anything like that. Yeah, how are they still denying that for him? He's still polling extremely well, and uh, he talked about some of the numbers he might get in the Democrat primary. Let's hear that. Should the Democratic National Committee endorse at least one primary debate or no way? No way. This one's an easy question. I believe Bobby Kennedy is going to get somewhere between 30 and 40 percent of the Democratic vote in New Hampshire. And that'll be an embarrassment for President Biden. But better for Kennedy to do that well than for Joe Biden to risk having a bad debate performance. And quite frankly, as we get into the end of 2023 and Republicans begin to have their debates and their caucuses and primaries, I still wonder why the Democrats don't turn to the president and say to him, sir, the economy is getting a little bit better. Inflation seems to be coming down. This is a great time to pass the torch to the next generation. We're not electing Joe Biden at the age of 80, 81, 82. We're electing him for four years. At 86, do you really yeah. believe five and a half years from now that he'll be effective? What do you think, Noah? I don't think he's effective right now. Good point. Uh, when you talk about how much RFK Jr. has been shunned from the mainstream spotlight, uh, even though in, in some of the first states like New Hampshire, he I don't think he's going to get as high as 40%. I definitely think he can get between 20 and maybe 25 on a good day. But when you talk about incumbent president who's walking around, you know, touting all of these massive legislative victories he was able to score up on Capitol Hill, uh, it, sh it should be nowhere near that. I'm thinking, like, you know, this should be a 92 to 8. Yeah. And it's just not the case. So... Is Joe Biden going to be the nominee? Only if they're retarded. But yeah, so the yeah, I mean they are retarded. Yes. So so you think the 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 Democrat party is going to keep Joe Biden on the ballot because they think he can beat Donald Trump again? Well, I think that they're going to keep pushing all the way up until the last possible moment. They're going to be pushing that he's going to be the guy, and then he's going to have to bow out due to some sort of unforeseen medical issue. Mm. It's not going to be like an illustrious departure where, you know, Frank Luntz there said he could talk about inflation going down a little bit and the economy being robust-ish. Well, he could talk about whatever he wants. He just fucking talks out his ass anyway. It doesn't matter. It's ugly. And we're nearing zero barrier as far as, you know, sliding somebody in there. You're only putting them behind the eight ball every week you wait and you have some ballot deadlines that are coming up in states as well. I mean, who who are they going to slide in? Like we we've we've uh, postulated. Mm -hmm. Is that the right word? Yeah. That it's going to be Newsom. I think so. But I mean, didn't Newsom say in that Hannity interview that he wasn't going to be? Well, how do you toe the party line if you say, "Sure, I'd be the nominee if they asked me"? That doesn't look very good. That gives mm. people an option. Yeah, I guess that's true. So, yeah, it's a, it, it, a lot of questions yet to be answered. Um, you know, and, and here's the thing. We know exactly who's controlling the Joe Biden bot right now, and it's it's all the Obama holdovers. Before we touch on that real quick, I want to remind everybody, wherever you're listening to the show today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, make sure you're subscribed to the show. Helps us out in the algorithms, keeps us up in the suggestions, and all of that great stuff. In addition, social media is Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast podcast account. You can now find us via VPN if you're in Canada. Follow us and hit the notification bell. Does it work? It does. Oh. Yeah, so that's one way to get around it. 
I saw this weekend uh, former House Speaker Newt Gingrich sat down with Pete Hegseth, who was sitting in for somebody on Fox News. I believe it was the Ingram angle, um, the Botox queen. And they were talking about all of these Obama administration holdovers who have absolutely done an enormous job of destroying everything uh, Donald Trump worked for and everything that represents the America that we knew under his presidency and, and all the actors involved. Let's hear it. Well, look, I, I thought his performance in Maui was so bad. He was so clearly out of it that, frankly, I think it's frightening. This is not about politics and scoring points. This is the commander in chief of the most pow powerful military in the world. And it's clear that at least half the time, uh, he's just not there. I mean, that month mm -hmm. by month, his cognitive collapse is more and more obvious. Uh, the Associated Press just reported that 77% of all Americans, Democrats, Republicans, Independents, 77% now believe that Biden is too old to run for re-election. I suspect by next summer that number will be in the 90s, because once this starts, it's just going to get steadily worse. He's clearly in cognitive decline. He's clear, in fact, makes me wonder who's making the real decisions at the White House. That's because true. obviously Joe Biden is not. He's not capable of it. When, Mr. Speaker, when you hear that number 77%, you said it could go higher. In the past, numbers <clears throat> like that really would have rattled the cage of a White House and they would have said, well, maybe it's time to step away. We don't seem to hear any of that. So who is, based on everything you know about Washington, how things work, who is making the calls? Is, it, is this a Jill Biden thing? Is this a well, chief of staff thing? Is this a, who is it? Well, first of all, one of the nice things about cognitive dissonance is he may not know the number and it may not occur to him that it matters. And he's just going on with his life. You know, he's back on to the beach. He's <laughs> relaxing. He's done some bicycling. Uh, he has a pretty decent life. And it doesn't occur to him that all these other things are piling up in a way that will be a, an absolute disaster uh, for the Democratic Party. My personal guess is that, that the driving force behind the Biden administration is Barack Obama. Yep. Uh, Obama is the only president since Woodrow Wilson to stay in Washington. And in Wilson's case, he stayed yeah. because he'd had a severe stroke and he couldn't be moved. So the fact that Obama's here all the time, uh, the fact that his staff permeates, literally permeates, the Biden administration. Uh, and Obama's really, really smart. Uh, I mean, whatever Biden's problems are, at being kind of slow and cognitively decaying, uh, Obama doesn't have any of those problems. And if you watch the administration, it's much more an Obama administration than, say, the Joe Biden of 10 or 15 years ago. This is a very mm -hmm. radical, very left-wing administration, deeply dedicated to policies that are close to crazy. Uh, their electric Absolutely. car policy is a disaster, as President Trump said today. Uh, it's going to destroy at least 100,000 jobs. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, and when you talk about all those Obama holdovers, I mean, they do spend some time up in Martha's Vineyard. They also have a house in Hawaii. It's so lucrative being the president these days. Only, only a big old portion of Netflix as well. Um, you know, the only president besides Woodrow Wilson who was medically inclined and could not be, you know, moved proficiently outside of the D.C. area ever Barack Obama maintains about seven months of residence in Washington, D.C. They also keep no visitor logs at the Obama House uh, via the Secret Service. And there's, you know, 
the mainstream media fails to report on it, but when people do the Nick Sorters, the he- Heather Mullins of the world, when they want to go camp out, there's cars coming and going 24 hours a day. Well, you don't want to have visitor logs when you're drowning your Susefs in your lake. That's true as well. You know, and then when you talk about all those holdovers who are still part of the government, I mean, Susan Rice left her official position, but, you know, she's still around. Victoria Newland, who was complicit in, in assisting in the Nord Stream 2 bombing, literally an active war on Germany, which tried to, you know, kick off Article 5 of NATO. you got Lisa Monaco, who's the number two at the DOJ behind Merrick Garland. Jake Sullivan, who's one of the masterminds of the Russiagate collusion hoax. John Podesta, who ran Hillary Clinton's national campaign in 2016. And, of course, radicals like KJP, who obviously runs Joe Biden's social media, and, and Noah's favorite chief of staff. Jeff Science. Science! There you go. So that's kind of the week that was for Joe Biden. Obviously, a disaster. Started in Maui, jet set over to Tahoe, down to Florida, over to Wisconsin, and ended in Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, they've capped the today's at 10 a.m. was the White House cap after the, the press pool today with KJP. They weren't going to be doing anything else, and neither was Joe Biden as he prepares for his international trip in a bunch of countries that he named off earlier in the segment that he'll be traveling to, ending in Alaska on 9-11. We're getting ready to sit down right now with Chris Lasavita for the first time, the National Campaign Advisor for Trump 2024. It's going to be a really great segment. We are really excited to be having him in here. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, very excited to be sitting down with this guest. He doesn't really like to be given titles, so we'll keep it vague. He's a national campaign advisor-ish for Donald Trump 2024. He's done it all, over 30 years up on Capitol Hill. Before that, he's a retired Marine veteran, Purple Heart recipient. He's done everything from rules to the floor and every campaign that you've probably ever heard of on the Republican side. Mr. Chris Lasavita, thanks for joining us on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Thrilled to be here. Thrilled to be here. Well, my plan worked, and we got another uh, person close to President Trump on the show, and you have done an absolutely fantastic job with this campaign. I don't know how many episodes you've gotten to hear over the years, Chris, but you know, one of the things this election cycle that we've really been able to attribute a lot of the credit of Donald Trump's success, I mean, he's Donald Trump. He's beloved. He's probably the largest political icon in modern history. Um, you know, but the fact of the matter is the way that you guys have formulated the plan to kind of roll out the 2024 campaign and how much it's worked to a T kind of while navigating all the legal stuff that's going on, it's been one of the best ever. I mean, the polls reflect it, the popularity of when he's out in public reflects it as well. So it's not just hearsay in the media when they show you these numbers, he's drawing crowds wherever he goes. And the fact of the matter is the job that you guys have been able to do on the Trump team, I'd like to name some of them. I mean, besides yourself, Stephen Chong, Jason Miller, Susie Weiss, Brian Jack, you guys have really allowed President Trump to continue to be him, ran a fiscally secure and, and smart campaign. I, I heard you'd mention on, on some other podcasts, we talk about it as well, the enormous expense of rallies. 
So I think you've maximized that to where he can do some now before we hit the general election cycle. But those intimate speaking events at the state level where the people who are going to be doing work for him in state and places like New Hampshire and Iowa and South Carolina, I think those are equally, if not more important than rallies. And then, you know, allowed President Trump to be President Trump. It's been a phenomenal job. So we want to give you guys a little bit of credit before you even got started here today. Well, I, I appreciate it. Uh, but I, I will tell you, it's President Trump makes it easy. I mean, he just does. It's, um, you know, when you have a, and, and you know, I've been doing this, you know, 33 years now. Um, and as a campaign manager, political consultant, I've run a state party. I mean, there's, you know, I've worked in the, on uh, at the National Republican Senatorial Committee as a political director of pre-campaign finance and post-campaign um, finance. And, you know, which basically changed the rules of the game dramatically. Yep. Uh, run super PACs. I mean, there isn't much I have not done. Uh, but that being said, and, and and I honestly believe that 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 cumulative experience has prepared me for for this role. Um, but it's uh, you know, Susie Wiles and I um, have been given this opportunity, uh, and you know, we work very closely together, um, and, and uh, on 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 everything, every decision that that we make in, in conjunction with the boss. But but President Trump makes it a lot easy so much easier because he sets the tone, right? He sets the tone. He sets the message. And, you know, he, he, so all we have to do is build that organization and build that operation that is there to support him, regardless of what direction he wants to go in, in the execution of the campaign. Listen, how much you've worked with so many, we, we can't even name all these candidates and, and, and things that you've worked in. Chris, how different yeah. is it? You, you talk about President Trump setting the tone. I'm sure through over the years, you know, you get in, there's a candidate. He might be new. He might be running for re-election. He might be someone that's, you know, long been a part of the establishment. And you go in and there's either messaging that's going to be created or there's messaging that you're going to continue on based off the direction of the country or, or, or whatever you guys figure out are going to be the talking points here. It could be related to district or statewide, even national level. And then you go into President Trump. I'm pretty sure someone with your long documented resume of, of, of successful everything over the course of the years uh, just was able to go in there and pretty much, you know, say this is the way it was going to be and, and uh, no problems. President Trump was just going to go along with it and it was been smooth sailing since the get-go. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, no, that is not that is not how it works. Uh, and I know you're being sarcastic, but uh, I mean, President Trump drives the messaging. President Trump drives the tone. Uh, I mean, you know, we we provide we have lots of discussions. To, uh, you know, he's well, first of all, understand uh, from at least from my perspective, you, you know, I've never worked for a former president. Okay. I mean, you know, I mean, and, and not many people have in this context. Um, so, uh, it, you know, it's a, it's a, um, it's a remarkable circumstance, but you, you know, in 2016, when, 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 when Trump was running the first time, of course he was running as uh, someone who had never run for office before, he had a group of people around him who were loyal and who were who were relatively new in some context. 
but it worked, right? I mean, it was fly by the seat of your pants kind of stuff, and they 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 put it together and 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 were able to 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 pull off what was a historic win. And then you know, going into twenty twenty, you're running as the incumbent president, and now you're running as a former president. So it's it's you know you have a different a different kind of candidate. You know, clearly someone who understands the role and the responsibility and what goes into running a national campaign. So uh, I have it a little easier from that standpoint, um, just because we're dealing with someone with an enormous amount of experience. Um, but, you know, there's very few people in, 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 the, in the world of presidents, former presidents that have run for president uh, more than twice. Um, you, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt being, being, being one. So the most recent really. So, all of that being said, it's uh, uh, again, he drives the agenda. He drives the tone and and we're there to, you know, there are a lot of things that go into running a successful national political campaign. Uh, and, and you know, obviously, you've got to have organizations and operations in 50 states plus the territories and everything is timed different and everything is every set of rules is different. These things actually matter. Um, and, and, you know. And so it's understanding that. And then on top of all that, of course, you got to, uh, you know, you got to navigate the uh, the minefields of of the um, of the legal cases that are popping up all over the place and the bogus uh, indictments. But but those are only uh, reinforcing the voters um, uh, beliefs that Donald Trump's the best person to, to be president again. No, that's that's it right there, and we're going to stay in those two threads. We're not going to ask you specific legal questions because I think that's outside of your scope. But I do want to start when when you're first getting yeah. into this campaign here. Were you frothing at the mouth? I mean, not only is it Donald Trump, but then you saw in 2020 the non-referendum that the general election was, the amount of votes and how it increased from the first election in 2016, and the fact that no matter how much the mainstream media or the print press or the left tried to demonize Donald Trump, I mean, you can't say 63 million votes in 2016 and almost 75 million votes in 2020, it means that Donald Trump is an unpopular political figure. So, I mean, as far as, like, messaging and stuff like that and strategy going in, you saw that there was a there there, especially for, you know, Republican candidates who over the course of the last, you know, several presidential election cycles haven't been winning the popular vote that this guy had that popularity within the party and, and you know, within the base as well. And it wasn't just the immediate MAGA base. It was widening outside of, you know, into the moderate and the independents and maybe even Democrat walkaways. And then in the same thread, you, you, you mentioned the lawfare stuff going through the campaign, obviously, campaign-related events, let's just say rallies or speaking events, can be affected by these dates. But for someone who, you know, is kind of charting this out there for the president right now, and you guys are all working to make sure it's as smooth as possible, has it just gotten to the point to where it's annoying? Like, you guys just expect another uh, indictment or, or a court appearance to, to take place, and the fact that it's backfired, everything from the music videos and the T-shirts all the way down to the campaign fundraising and, and polling a spike for President Trump, uh, you know, post his last indictment. Right. Well, first of all, looking at it from the construct of what's the purpose, the purpose, um, you know, in my view, and I think in a lot of people's view is to deny um, to deny Donald Trump's place on the ballot. There's nothing more than, you know, a lot of these folks fear than than having Donald Trump on the ballot. And the, and the reason is because they'll know he, that, that he'll win. Um, and so 
you know, playing by the old set of rules. Oh, well, let's just concoct these scenarios, you know, starting in New York City with uh, with a with a bogus indictment. And and let's start with that and see where it goes. And then, of course, you know, you have the deferential treatment as it relates to Biden and his boxes and, uh, you know, the, the boxes as they relate to President Trump. And then, you know, so you have all of these um, you know, remarkable circumstances that just happen to happen. And oh, by the way, the indictments, if you look at it from a timing perspective, they all are timed remarkable. And look, there is no such thing as coincidences in politics. Right. And every, anybody says that they're full of crap. Um, because at the, it, you know, the bottom line is, is that, it, it, you know, a lot of these indictments, every single one of them has been timed from a standpoint of to defer uh, public attention away from some issue that's dealing either with it, one of the two Bidens, Hunter or Joe, and um, the big guy. And so it's kind of transparent. And the American people, they're not stupid. They can see right through the charade. So you go through the, all of these indictments and lo and behold, what happens? Well, you know, well, first of all, the president's polling, uh, you know, from a standpoint of because uh, you had mentioned the numbers, which are which are remarkable. Right. Um, and and and, uh, you know, they're they're remarkable in 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 where they are, but they're remarkable in their consistency. Uh, you know, poll, public polling, anyone will tell you my position on public polling is most of that's crap, right? Um, uh, we've seen enough public polling from academics and public polling from news organizations over the years that has been kind of, you know, remarkably idiotic. Um, but what's remarkable about this cycle's public polling is its consistency. It's just not something you're used to seeing. Uh, and, and and they're all within two or three or four points. They're all within a margin of error of each other. Uh, and if there's one thing in politics that the, 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 you know, those of us that practice this um, business, if you will, of politics is that we 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 follow trends. Trends are what we make decisions off of. Uh, right. We don't make decisions off of one offs and one big good piece of information. It's got to be consistent over a period of time to really solidify belief in something and movement in something. So but all of that being said, you know, they have solidified the president's ballot share uh, in in the um, in the primary electorate. And it's had a dramatic impact in the president, in the president, in, in President Trump's ballot position in a general election against Joe Biden. Let's remember at the beginning of this entire process, uh, you know, uh, DeSantis and, and others, their entire focus, their entire uh, modus operandi, if you will, of running against Donald Trump was they were more electable, that they were the better candidate against Joe Biden. Well, guess what? That ain't happening. It's not true. And it's borne out in the numbers. So you have all of that. And then you have the, you know, the indictments, which have completely backfired. So now what are they doing? Well, now they're talking to this bogus crap about the 14th Amendment and the 14th. I mean, and they they are now literally, you know, Senator Tim Kaine from Virginia came out the other day. And they, the, what they used to talk about in whispers, they're now saying out loud. And they're now saying, yes, that's our opportunity to keep him off the ballot. So it really boils down to what, it, you know, what are their real goals? Their real goals are deny him on the ballot. And, and uh, you, you know, so that will that's not going to go anywhere. It'll generate a lot of clickbait for the for the media and the online pubs. 
Um, but at the end of the day, it's just not it's not a realistic option for them. And they're just going to have to deal with the fact that that Donald Trump's going to be on the ballot in November 2024 and it's going to win. No, that's it. And I mean, you, you just look at this weekend's the Sunday morning news circuit. I, every show touched on either the 14th Amendment or the no labels third party. And uh, neither yeah. one of those things really resonate with anybody, especially when you have people like Chris Nunu and uh, Pig Faced, Larry Hogan as possible candidates to be on that third party ticket. And you know, it, it, it's just silly to say the least. And like you said, a lot of clickbait to keep everybody's mind off stuff. It also shows that a lot of the mainstream press and, and the Democrat talking points that they're getting from the White House are showing you have to provide other options other than just always talking about the legal case because they're not a hundred percent invested in thinking that this is going anywhere uh, for as much of a production as they've made it over the course of the last six months. Chris, I want to segue into probably one of your favorite parts of uh, what we want to talk about today. And that's breaking down the best of the rest. We call it the fake primary here on steak for breakfast. I mean, Donald Trump is, you know, clearly walking away to uh, what would be considered a three peat for the Republican nomination, putting him in the category of people like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Tom Brady, et cetera. And then you've got the best of the rest, the teams that, you know, make the wild card round with an 8-8 eight and eight record and, and don't get a home game and get absolutely stomped in the first round. Uh, listen, you've worked on a lot of these campaigns. You know almost just about everybody who else is in the race. You've ran PACs or worked alongside the consultants who are consulting just about everybody else who's in the primary right now. As someone who's done it all, and is now kind of riding away on the Trump train to the nomination. How has it been watching everybody get a lot smaller in the rearview mirror as the days pass on? Well, you know, I'll be honest with you guys. I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about those folks. Certainly don't spend a lot of time thinking about their staffs. Um, you know, uh, you know, DeSantis is a shit show. I don't know <laughs> if I can say that, but I just did. You can say whatever um, you want. You know, it's kind of... <laughs> I mean, it's a bit of a shit show over there. Uh, I mean, they're all they're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, and 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 um, you know, whereas you've got um, uh, you know, there, but there are there are a lot of other campaigns out there that there are people that I consider friends and friendly with that are professionals and very good at what they're doing and and uh, um. You know, but but, you know, again, our focus is really on just accomplishing what we need to do. The one thing that you will never hear us say, um, we'll let others say it, but we will never say we're running away with anything. We know where we are. Right. We know we're in a very commanding position. Um, but that's that is um, our biggest enemy is complacency. So um, and and we we don't suffer from that within the campaign. But, you know, I've been through enough campaigns in the past to see big leads evaporate because people think, ah, well, you know, no, no, no need for me to participate. Sure. I don't think we have that problem in Trump world. Um, as a matter of fact, I know we don't have that problem in Trump world. But um, and, and if you look at the numbers, uh, you know, one of the one of the remarkable things that I see consistently is, you know, you test a favorable unfavorability of your candidates. And um, then we also test for intensity and we always test that very favorable and president Trump's very favorable numbers are crazy high. I mean, they're two, three times higher than his next opponent. And, and, and the very favorable actually it in some cases mimics the margin in the ballot um, between, you know, you know, between 
you know, the president in first place. And then, the, of course, the first place loser, which, by the way, is what everybody is competing for. Exactly. Um, and so, right. I mean, and so it's but but, you know, everything is is, you know, we're we're just we're just rolling fast. We're in sixth, seventh gear and and we're not we don't even have time to look back. We're just rolling. <laughs> You know, is, is it weird to you, Chris, for someone who's done this, you, you said now 33 years uh, up on Capitol Hill working in these races across the country, this lineup probably would have been more than presentable, let's just say, eight years ago. When you talk about, you know, the the combined resumes of people like Nikki Haley and, uh, you know, Ron DeSantis and Tim Scott, et cetera. Uh, now it seems like when you look at these poll numbers and, and how Donald Trump's America First messaging uh, how populism and nationalism has blown old school conservatism out of the water and, and it just doesn't resonate with people anymore because they've seen their country go down the tube. Is it kind of wild to see how fast politics has taken a pivot and, uh, you know, really has hitched their wagon to a different kind of conservatism moving forward? Well, that's just it. I, I don't think it replaces a, 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 a quote-unquote old-school conservatism. I think that it is, it's, it's enhancing what being a conservative actually is, right? Conservatives, if you go back to, you know, Ronald Reagan and before, um, you know, Republican presidents weren't uh, pushing an agenda of, you know, being the world's policeman on an international scale. I mean, they just weren't. President Trump has made that clearly a, a major and pushed that as a major, you know, part of America first. It's a mindset. It's, you know, we, the president of the United States, Donald Trump, made decisions and makes decisions and goes about policy through the lens of the American public first, the worker first, the family member first, not how is this going to impact you, you know, what, you know, Germany or how this is going to impact, you know, our friends here, there and everywhere without taking into consideration uh, the American taxpayer first. And it, that's really at its core what it is. And that is, in fact, old school conservatism. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of aspects of that. You know, there's one offs and there's some other issues here and there where there's some separation. But at the end of the day, I think the Republicans have been longing for a return to a focus on our country first. And, 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 you know, this look, the stronger America is internally, the stronger we are as a people, the stronger we are within our own borders, the stronger we are everywhere else in the world. I mean, and that's just a fact. You can't deny that. And we got a really big glimpse of it uh, during Donald Trump's first term in office. We hope to see uh, more of that again. Oh, yeah. Chris, we had Dr. Ben Carson on the show on Friday. We sat down for a great interview with him. He's just a trove of information. His, his whole the way he looks at politics and, and the hope that he gives when he talks. It's just it's something you can't get from very many other places. One of the things he touched on about President Trump, who who he said he still talks to often and, uh, you know, they talk about stuff related to the campaign was how important it is to focus on looking forward for as much as uh, people used to hit President Trump about being stuck on the 2020 presidential election. It seems as you guys have shifted as a campaign and segued toward election interference, which is what we're seeing now. And away from things like rigged and stolen, which is something we, we always talk about here on the show. But it. 
it seems like the whole premise of everything you guys is working on right now and a lot of the things that you're talking about, uh, you know, as the campaign continues to uh, plug along, is going to be looking forward. Do you think when Donald Trump is talking to people like Dr. Carson and, and some of the other people he worked with, people he you trust and, and ones that stayed loyal to him throughout the entirety of he of his presidency, which is extremely rare in, in this day and age. Uh, do, do you think that messaging is one that is actually going to be what gets him over the finish line next November and uh, looking forward, not only on the campaign side, but for the American people it is definitely the message to be bringing home? The president has released, you know, over the period of the last six months, an enormous amount of forward looking public policy, policy statements on, on, I mean, I can't even begin to tell you the issues. There are so many, are so vast, um, and 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 they are so detailed, and they are so specific. Um, and you know, all of that is forward looking. I think the the discussion as it relates to current election interference is a valid one in the sense of especially in the context of the Republican primary, right, which we're engaged in right now. I mean, these are uh, uh, these are crazy leftists who are literally engaged in uh, weaponizing the Department of Justice and weaponizing different aspects, um, you know, of the government to actually interfere with not only a Republican nomination, a party process, right? Um, and, and now you have some secretaries of state uh, that are on the left that are that are you know toying with that Fourteenth Amendment BS. Um, you know they're 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 doing the same thing. That's legitimate, classic election interference. And, I mean, I, I you know if you don't if you deny that you're you're living on another planet. And then and then of course you know it also has an impact as it relates to the general election. But all of that being said. Um, the the those are valid discussions to have now. Um, but as we shift into a general election mode against Joe Biden, I mean, it, it, people are living the difference every single day. They see the difference between a Biden administration and a Trump administration every single day. All those younger voters that were graduating college or graduating high school, you, you know, a few years ago now are re now they see the the you know, what's happened to the economy, how expensive everything is. And, um, uh, you know, the just you can't if you can find it, you can't afford it. Um, and so, you know, those things are going to have a big, I think, impact going forward in in a general election and and really provide the contrast that is needed, because, you know, running against an incumbent, you got to do two things. You got to give voters a reason to hire you and fire the other guy. That's it right there. I think we're going to uh, keep it at that. Chris, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. Hey, listen, you think it's sometime between now and November of next year you might be able to uh, give somebody over there maybe a nudge and see if uh, President Trump could give the call to uh, steak for breakfast and spend a little time with us as well? You know, and I will make sure that that we have steak for breakfast before we do that, 100%. Nice. I can only imagine uh, how delicious that's going to be either at Ben Minster or Mar-a-Lago, to be honest with you. <laughs> Chris, we're gonna we're gonna live link the campaign website in the show description today. We're gonna have people continuing to donate to President Trump, buying those mugshot T-shirts, and uh, we can't wait for ours to get down here to the studio so we can hang them up proudly. Is there anybody anything else you want us to live link in the show description? No, nah, we're good to go. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. It's been fun.
listen, this guy's an absolute warrior out there. I wouldn't want to catch him down a dark alley either. He's the national campaign advisor for Trump 2024, Mr. Chris Lasavita. Thanks for joining us on the show. All right, coming back in here now, we're going to continue to do a little bit of the news. We're going to talk about some of the new angles that the mainstream media is projecting to give the public the idea that Donald Trump can possibly be removed from ballots in states using things like the 14th Amendment, etc., and some of the commentary related to that throughout the weekend. And joining us in this segment to do the news, we're always happy to sit down with author and attorney at Save America, the lovely Miss Christina Bob is here. Christina, how are you doing today? Hey, great. Thanks for having me. I love coming on your show. Well, we love having you. I mean, besides the poll numbers that came out over the weekend, which is pretty much the only bastion of reality we see in this 2024 race right now, uh, it was all negative news about President Trump as usual. Everything from like reports of his declining health to he's, <laughs> you know, going to jail forever. And really, they're trying that bullshit. Listen, when the only positive comments I heard in the entirety of the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Roundtable discussions came from Donna Brazil. That's how bad it was. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. It's a bold and move. the fact that, I'm sorry, I just have to point out the fact that you referred to poll numbers as a bastion of reality. Mm. I thought that was kind of funny, too. Like, it's sad that, that, that they are because his poll numbers are so good. They're so high. And even uh, New York Times, CNN type polls are coming out with Donald Trump on top. Like they, he is so far ahead. They can't even fake it anymore. And wall street journal had a big one yesterday as well. It's like, and every time I read these polls, especially from some of the aforementioned, I'm air quoting news outlets that mm -hmm. Christina just mentioned, I just close my eyes and imagine them 10 points higher because that's in reality, probably where they are. Oh yeah. They're yeah. definitely not being honest. Yeah. Like they're, they're trying to like, all right, well, we'll just keep it like Five, ten points. Uh, Five, make ten it sound points. A That's a massive lead. Like in a normal election. Oh, he's he's up by ten points. It's like you've got. Remember how they were saying Hillary's up by ten points? <laughs> yeah. Donald Trump is up by like fifty points. They, oh my god. Ninety-two to eight. <laughs> that was the yeah. <laughs> that was my like, favorite New York Times poll the oh, day oh, of the election. All these media personalities. I don't want to go in the cart. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Better write it down. <laughs> All right, Christina, I've got a bunch of, uh, well, anti-Trump sound bites for you to uh, commentate on with us because this is what was pretty much going around over the weekend. We're going to break them down and get some, some legal insight from you because you, you've, you've got a lot about, uh, you've been talking about the 14th Amendment. We, we touched on it a little bit uh, yep. before we started recording today. So let's just jump into it with two of your favorites. We've got former disgraced White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki hosting Watermelon Head Adam Schiff. Mm. Let's see what kind of lies they can concoct. There's an argu argument uh, circulating about whether the 14th Amendment that prohibits anyone, in, quote, engaged in insurrection or rebellion from holding public office bars Trump from running for president. Now, this hasn't been tested in our system you might wear before. Uh, do you think what is your thought on whether that's a valid argument? I think it is a valid argument. Uh, you know, the 14th Amendment, uh, Section 3, is pretty clear. You if you softball. engage yeah. in acts of insurrection or rebellion against the government, or you give aid and comfort to those who do, you are disqualified from running. It doesn't require that you be convicted of insurrection. Uh, it just requires that uh, you have engaged in these acts. It's a disqualification from holding office again. Uh, and it fits Donald Trump to a T. Uh, I think this will be tested when a secretary of state either refuses to put him on the ballot or puts him on the ballot and is challenged by a litigant. Um, I would imagine it will go up to the Supreme Court, and that's the big question mark through all of this, which is, 
what will the Supreme Court do? There are prominent constitutional scholars as well as prominent uh, progressive scholars uh, who believe that he should be disqualified. But uh, will the court take that step? Ultimately, uh, only time will tell. But I do think uh, it is a very legitimate issue. By the clear terms of the 14th Amendment, he should be disqualified from holding office. Hmm. Well, Christina, before we can even get into that, you want to just blow up his uh, whatever the hell that yeah, was? Yeah, I know he, he says that the Constitution doesn't say anywhere where he has to be convicted, but uh, United States law does require that we consider anyone innocent until they are proven guilty, which means they would have to be convicted of insurrection in order to uh, have the 14th Amendment apply. And I would just like to remind everybody that not only has Donald Trump not been convicted of insurrection. He hasn't even been charged with it. So this is not even in the realm of possibility. This is like the soft golf clap liberal talking point that they want to sound, um, you know, legal uh, raising, but it literally is not in the realm of possibility. It's not even on the table. So for them to be throwing this around, I think just demonstrates how desperate they are and how they are how about an intent on confusing the American public? They want people to be confused about reality. They don't want people to understand what's actually happening because if people understand what's actually happening, they don't stand a chance in November of 24. And you, you've got to wonder what are they hiding? Like it's got, they have gotten so bad and so egregious with their complete disregard for the law and their complete abandonment of American principles that I can't help but look at the way they're conducting themselves and say, what are they hiding? Because they are working very hard to cover something up because if they were honest, they would say, yeah, he's, he's not even charged with this crime. It's not on the table. Um, but there, there's something very, very fishy to me about all of this because they're working very, very hard to try to confuse the American public. And while I do think holding on to power is part of it, I, I think it's only part of it. I think there's something else that, that hasn't yet breached the surface. Well, you know, I think the the stuff that's going on with Joe Biden, believe it or not, you know, the work that Jamie Comer and Jim Jordan's doing, albeit slow, yeah. I, I do think there's a there there. And the, big, oh, yeah. the biggest thing the mainstream media is trying to do right now is continue to make this about Hunter Biden when they're uncovering the receipts that lead back to Joe. They're two very separate things. Christina, you know the inside of a courtroom, and they're trying to gray area those two and just say everything that comes out that traces it back to Joe Biden was just Hunter and Joe didn't know about it. That's how they're trying to protect him. And then at some point, Donald Trump's cases can only move so far, and you could have nothing out of the you know Robert Hur-led special counsel into Joe Biden's document investigation. At some point, they're going to have to have a disposition on that. And, and and some kind of a ruling and, and whether or not they're going to let him get off, they, they still can't just show no activity. I mean, there were reports last week, Donald Trump had, uh, you know, championed it on Truth Social that Joe Biden and the White House had given, you know, basically they hadn't worked with the special counsel at all. They're actually refusing them on a lot of requests. And it just seems it's pretty funny. They want to add charges to Donald Trump every time he doesn't move as fast as the court system want him wants them to. And uh, on the other side, you've got Joe Biden just saying, well, I'm the president and I'm busy because I'm presidenting. And yeah. I can't I can't do that stuff for you right now. And they're just kind of letting it slide. So, yeah. Uh, and then you've got the whole David Weiss situation going on where they're saying, oh, it's not Joe, it's Hunter. No, it is Joe. It's very clearly Joe. Even Hunter Biden acknowledges that it's Joe, whether it's in emails, whether it's on the phone with people. Hunter Biden himself acknowledges in emails to members of the CCP I'm of no value to you. It's yep. who my family is. Yep. And 
the fact that uh, Congress has only published a little over twenty million dollars that the Biden that has gone directly to the Biden family, um, that's just what they've released so far. There's over one hundred and fifty uh, suspicious activity reports filed with the Department of U.S. Treasury. Uh, indicating that banks, so a suspicious activity report comes when a bank sees a wire transaction for a significant amount of money that appears suspicious and it appears to indicate potential criminal activity. There's over 150 of those filed with the U.S. Department of Justice right now on the Bidens alone. And the Biden administration is refusing congressional subpoenas to actually get access to those SARS. Now, they did give them in-camera camera review, meaning they allowed them to go look at them but the, that breaks with historic precedent. Historic precedent is when Congress subpoenas your documents, you give them the documents. And they're not doing that in this case because they know they're going to be made public. And as soon as they're made public, the American public are going to know about it. And the Biden administration is actively working to keep the American public in the dark. Oh, you're right. And, uh, you know, segueing away from this and into some of the other things uh, that we're planning on seeing as we head you know, there's a lot of pivoting going on. Obviously, the rest of the primary field in, in the Republican primary is failing and flailing. It's going to be a matter right. of time before they all slowly start getting out. Joe Biden, obviously, in, in whatever messaging he could deliver without effing it up over the course of the weekend during his speaking events in Wisconsin and, and Philadelphia, is definitely focused on the general election and, and was hitting Donald Trump on some talking points as well. But I did see on, on some of the, the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday morning news circuit with the extended weekend we had here, uh, they brought out some tired Republican old treads and uh, we're talking about other ways we could affect Donald Trump if nothing works and him and Joe Biden make it to the ballot themselves. But before we hear that, let's hear a little bit of commentary from disgraced Governor Chris Sununu on the Republican primary. Share um, this uh, ability to take on Donald Trump and not to get politically penalized for it in your party, in your home state. <laughs> Why don't other presidential candidates not named Trump see the success you and Governor Kemp have had and follow suit? Well, again, first first off, Governor Kemp is uh, spot on. The guy's an oak. He's the oak of Georgia, and, and he's got some big shoulders, and he handles it uh, just incredibly every time. And, y you know, you don't have to make it personal. I'm not saying other candidates do that. I mean, when you're running for president against uh, the former president, uh, it, it's a very uh, odd dynamic, to be sure. Uh, the key to taking on, not just taking on Trump, but ju you just call the balls and strikes like you see them. You don't make things <laughs> personal. You do things that are clearly in the best interest of the constituents you serve, regardless of, of, of party. Now, I'm a, I'm a staunch fiscal conservative and I, I want to support Republican ideals, but that doesn't mean we're going to bend and break rules because when you do that, you set precedent for the other side. Now, as for the other candidates running for president, um, I think you're right. I think they have to be a little tougher on Trump. You know, Chris Christie kind of really goes nuclear on him sure. and God bless yeah, Chris. He does a great job with that. He exposes a lot of that, which I think is important. But I think what we saw in that debate stage last week, I think there was a little, still a little too much kowtowing to him. I mean, you had yeah. Vivek saying he was one of the greatest presidents, but but he was going to be better than him. You know, he was still going to be running against right. him. Uh, so it, it was an it was an odd dynamic, to be sure. There's still a lot of a lot of. Well, yeah. Mm. Anyone that praises Chris Christie has no credibility with me. They're done. No, they're done. Chris Christie's done. Brian Kemp is done. Sununu's done. They're all done. They're all they're all grasping at straws, hoping to be saved by whatever meager establishment survives the Trump era. And none of them are going to survive. I just 
I mean, I think Brian, I, I have a lot of suspicions about Brian Kemp. I do not think he calls balls and strikes for what's in the best interest of the constituents. Give me a break. Wait a, minute, never wait, seen that. wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're saying he's not the great oak of Georgia. <laughs> he's not the great oak of Georgia. He's the one that caused the problems. He was the secretary of state in 2018 that yep. changed all of the voting procedures that Stacey Abrams flipped about flipped out about. And by no means do I ever want to say that Stacey Abrams has a point, but Brian Kemp was the one that created the centralized vote counting. He was the one that put the machines, you know, to use the machines the way that they're using them. He completely fundamentally changed the way that Georgia elections run. And he did that in 2018 when he was the secretary of state running for governor. How's that working out for you, Georgia? Mm, Not very well. I think Stacey Abrams has two points, but they're her two buck teeth. Oh, that's true. (laughs) Or probably the two plates she comes back with at the same time from (laughs) Golden Corral and she gets up there. Listen, crying Chuck Todd wasn't done with Governor Sununu. They would then segue to uh, different ways they were thinking about providing a little bit of election interference and essentially just fucking with Donald Trump as we, uh, you know, at some point here are going to segue hard towards the general election, even though the primary season hasn't technically started yet. Let's hear this. Uh, let me ask you about this a third-party movement. If, that, if Donald Trump is the nominee, Joe Biden is the nominee, we know that no labels wants to come up with their own candidate. You supportive of that idea still? Well, look, uh, according to the polls you just showed, about 70 percent of America is supportive of that idea to not see Trump and Biden on that ticket. Uh, You know, I I heard someone put it once. 70 percent of America, if it's a Trump-Biden ticket, will be politically homeless. And I think that's a very good way to put it. They they won't have any inspiration. They won't feel very confident about going forward. Are you going to feel politically homeless? Uh, No, look. If it's Trump versus no, Biden? because they're not going to be on the top of that ticket. It's not going to be that way. Look, I, I, I'm a, I think there's a good shot that that neither of them are, are actually on that ballot. I think Trump can very much lose if they win it down to one on one. I think there's a lot of issues that are going to come to bear with President Biden over the next year, and a lot of opportunity for the Democrats to find another uh, another candidate. But to the no labels point. There's a there's an opportunity there like never before. Um, it would have to be the right candidate. It have to be somebody very energizing. Would you be open to it? Transparent, someone with a good record. No, nothing I'm looking at. No, nothing I'm looking at. Look, I, I I'm still working 24 seven to make sure the Republican Party is the best version right. of itself, and that. Oh God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Christina, there's the start of that talk. You know, they they had mentioned people, everyone from Bernie Sanders who confirmed last week that he would rather see Joe Biden be the nominee, all the way up to people like uh, Robbie Kennedy Jr., who's also running on the Democrat side at the moment. But to hear Republicans start talking about that and how Chuck Todd kind of baited it into them, they, they showed some poll. It was a poll of like 600 people, and it was conducted that only shows Joe Biden and Donald Trump on the ballot together, and that's how you had to formulate your vote. So even though 70% of Democrats don't want Joe Biden on the ballot, and over 60% of Republicans have already said they would commit to vote for Donald Trump if he won the primary tomorrow. They put them on the ballot to show that there's an overwhelming amount of people make it look like they don't want either one of them to run and then start talking about third party, no labels. What do you think about that? Uh, Well, they're also hoping that the American people don't believe their lying eyes, right? You can't deny Donald Trump's popularity. You it's very hard to find Joe Biden's popularity. Nobody likes Joe Biden. There are people who have settled into Joe Biden because he's the current president and they're going, okay, okay, well, whatever. But Donald Trump has a massive following when you've got uh, songs, you know, topping iTunes charts and, you know, your mugshot increases your political value and, 
Donald Trump is is very, very popular. I don't think anybody believes that Republicans don't want Donald Trump on the ballot. Republicans have a lot of opportunity. I mean, if if conservatives really, truly did not want Donald Trump on the ballot, they could put DeSantis up there. They could put Nikki Haley up there. They could put Tim Scott up there. I mean, we have other options in the race right now, but they're not even coming close. Why? Because the voters want Trump. Yeah. That's that's definitely what it is. And if you think that that talking point from Chris Sununu was kind of an anomaly in the news weekend, it wasn't. Different show, different hour, different day. We're on Deface the Nation now. Former disgraced Maryland governor Donald Trump has tabbed him as pig-faced. Larry Hogan was asked the same question. I don't think he's charismatic or transparent, but let's hear him. Especially among allies of the White House, that a Democratic independent ticket would pull from Biden. But let's let's be real. If Trump is going to end up, looks like the nominee come January or February of next year. Are you, Larry Hogan, <laughs> open to being atop a no labels ticket as a Republican type candidate with no labels? It's not something I'm pursuing. I know it's not, we know you're not pursuing it. it, but it, it is it, is it, I'm at least hoping we open don't door? get to that point. I have not closed the door to that. If I believe that we can actually win the race, we have a strong ticket that those two major candidates are weak. We might have to try to pull off something that's never been done, which is sort of. Christina, imagine a Hogan Sununu ticket and what President Trump would do to that online. I hope they do it. I hope they <laughs> do it. Do it. Like this whole thing, I love all of the discussions on news networks right now are fake discussions. Like the stupid 14th Amendment thing, it's not based in reality. This whole idea, well, well, if Donald Trump really is at the top of the ticket, me, a former Maryland governor, Larry Hogan, I may just have to step in and save the nation and, you know, run for president. It's like nobody cares. No one would even notice if his name was on the ballot. I guarantee you, you pull 90% outside of the exit polls, they wouldn't even notice that Larry Hogan was on the ticket. Not even if it said pigged face next to him? Mm. <laughs> I don't I don't think so. Maybe. I don't know. But nobody cares. And it, it's just ridiculous to me that these hosts allow these stupid guests to get up there and, and pretend. Pretend that Larry Hogan has the ability to take on Donald Trump, not just in the primary, but in the general election. What, like... Why and and I, I know the answer to this, but at what point did we? How did we get to the point where Americans just said, "Hey, news networks, dictate reality to me, and I'll just believe it, and you can say the craziest shit, and I'll just accept it," and that's that's where we're at. No, we I mean, certainly. Well, at least people aren't accepting it anymore. But no, and and the polling and and President Trump's popularity, whether it be when he's out in public speaking events or like you had mentioned before, fundraising, uh, it definitely shows there. Last audio clip of the segment before we cut with Christina Bob. There was one voice of reason out there. Uh, Donald Trump has tapped him. is very smart. He's run the Donald Trump campaign up to this point. We here on the show realize that that only lasts until Donald Trump makes himself present, whether it be on a debate stage or at an event where they're both at, et cetera. I mean, obviously in the polls, it's not even close. But Vivek Ramaswamy jumped on This Week in Fake News with ABC and talked about not really the alternate candidate and third-party crap, but how these legal issues into you know that Donald Trump has incurred over the past couple months, it's not just bad for the country, but it's getting pretty much to be annoying. Let's hear it. Your hand shot up pretty fast at the debate when you were asked whether you would vote for Donald Trump in the general election, even if he was a convicted felon. Can you just explain why you would vote for a convicted felon for president? 
Well, look, I expect to be the next nominee, and that's why I'm running for president. But I also intend to keep the pledge that I made. I take those things seriously. And the reality is, the way we do things in the United States, George, is that the people of this country decide who runs the country pursuant to the rules laid out in our constitutional republic. So if the Constitution permits somebody to run, and that's the person that people of this country want to elect, then that's the way our system works, and I stand by it. But I'm in this race because I expect to be that nominee and to lead our country. I'm asking you why you made the promise. Why do you think it's okay for a convicted felon to be president? So, look, I think that many of these prosecutions against Donald Trump are outright, downright politicized persecutions through prosecution that set an awful precedent for our country. I do not want to see us become a banana republic where the administrative police state uses police force to eliminate opponents from competition. That's not the way it works. I will pick who I believe the best next president should be. I'm in this race because I believe I can lead us forward and reunite this country. But if it's not me as the nominee, I still expect that Donald Trump or whoever the Republican nominee is will be better than the alternative. And I care about what actually moves this nation forward. That's why I'm in this race. But, George, frankly, I'm not interested in talking about who else I'm going to vote for. I expect to vote for myself, both in the boy. You know, he says the right things. But like I said, that. Running as Donald Trump or to the right of Donald Trump or as an alternative to, you know, Donald Trump because he's not at the debates and stuff like that only lasts until Donald Trump makes himself president. And then you have to go up against the, you know, the two-time defending champ, so it doesn't really work out as well. He'll make a great secretary of education or something like Mm -hmm. that, labor. Um, This is my only concern about the cabinet because, yeah, okay, Vivek could be a great secretary of whatever, but... Every single cabinet member needs to be prepared to shut down their department. I just say that we need to be prepared that our federal government has gotten way too out of control. We have way too many bureaucrats that have seeped in and are running interference on what the people of America want through their elected leaders. And they hinder, hinder our ability to run our own nation. So every secretary needs to be humble enough to shut their own department down. And I'm not I'm not saying we will shut them all down, but they just have to go in with the attitude of I may only be the secretary of whatever for a certain amount of time because we're shutting this thing down. Well, we expect to have fire commentary from you talking about shutting it down every time we have you on, Christina. And that's why we had you on today. We're going to have you on again later this month. Listen, we're going to live link everything, the campaign, the book, you name it in the show description today. Anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out? Uh, Christina underscore Bob on Instagram and Twitter, Christina Bob on truth, Christina And you can get stealing your vote, the inside story, of the 2020 election, what it means for 2024 on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or wherever books are sold. Author, advocate, great commentator and attorney at save America. Miss Christina Bob. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks guys. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep-related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 
1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's the congressman representing Arizona's second district. Always happy to sit down with Representative Eli Crane. Congressman, thanks for joining us on the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, you guys have been uh, pretty busy. Capitol Hill's been on recess uh, for this portion of the year, and you guys are getting ready to head back next week. But listen, if you check out your social medias, I've seen it on, you know, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. You guys are out doing massive work within your district. Do you want to give our listenership a little bit of an update on some of the great work that you've been doing inside of Arizona, too? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we've uh, we've been hitting the district. Uh, we I just got back from uh, Resolution uh, Copper Mine this week. Um, got to check out that operation. Unfortunately, um, that's one of these operations um, that is on hold due to the Biden administration's war against uh, our, our natural resources, critical minerals, etc. And uh, once that thing is greenlit and ready to go, it will be a huge economic boom um, for Arizona. But not only that, guys, as you know, many of these uh, critical minerals like copper that we have, um, you know, they go into so many of the consumable goods that we have. A lot of the manufacturing that we use, whether it's in aerospace or national defense or whatever. And, you know, it just breaks my heart and it pisses me off, quite frankly, to see how foolish we we we've become, you know, with just how we look at, you know, whether it's gas and oil or copper, you know, or even coal mining. I mean, these are resources that we need as Americans, whether it's for energy or just some of the other industries that I mentioned. And instead of, uh, you know, utilizing the blessing that we've been given to live in a country that has so many natural resources, um, we're trying to shut it down. And, you know, it seems like it goes along with the rest of the Biden administration and the radical left trying to destroy the United States. And so, you know, um, one of the things that we've been focused on this uh, break is uh, getting out and, you know, learning more about um, some of these industries and, and some of the plants in our district. But also, you know, this the week before I went on an energy tour up in Montana with Congressman Rosendale and Congressman Biggs from Arizona. And we got to see a lot of the, uh, you know, the energy um, plants that uh, Montana has. We went to a hydro, you know, hydro plant. We went to a coal mine. Uh, we got to see so many amazing, you know, different, uh, you know, different mines and sites that were producing energy, uh, a refinery. And, uh, you know, if, if you're going to represent and vote on issues like that, you need to, you know, you need to learn about those things. No, you certainly do. And when you talk about the, uh, the amount of re-regulations the Biden administration has been implementing and the absolute killing they've been doing uh, on American industry and, and raw ore mining, it's, it's been absolutely you know, just awful to see how that's contributed to, you know, the loss in the value of the dollar, the crippling economy that we're going through now, where, you know, about 70% of American households are using nearly 70% of their total income just for food, fuel, and housing. And, uh, you know, people are just absolutely getting crushed out here and, and, and we're looking for a way out. Uh, one of the things that I want to talk to you about is we're getting ready to segue into that and, and looking forward to next week when you guys are back up on the Hill, Congressman, is the start of appropriation season. You know, we've had a couple of your uh, fiery but mostly peaceful counterparts here on the show in the last couple of weeks. We've sat down with uh, Corey Mills. We've had uh, Wesley Hunt in here and uh, Congressman Mike Collins. And, you know, the, the frustration that they've, uh, you know, 
given our listenership and in, in saying how you guys have only essentially worked out one appropriation bill and still have 11 to go and you know the way Mitch McConnell's kind of vapor locked in a couple of speaking events over the Oof. course of the last couple of weeks and they're nearly done with the Senate appropriations just kind of pisses them off even more. I know that you are one of the biggest realists that come on this show. Congressman, you tell it like it is, even when the news is not great. As you're getting ready to go back up there next week and start you know, debating over these appropriation bills, what are you looking forward to? Well, you know, it's it's not exactly, I wouldn't say it's what I'm looking forward to. I, I just know that there's a fight coming. Um, it's gonna. I think it's going to be a lot like the fights that you've already seen in this Congress. It'll be the Freedom Caucus and a couple, uh, maybe a couple other conservatives who are trying to use the leverage that we have, you know, to uh, secure the border, um, stop the reckless out of control spending of the federal government, rein in the DOJ, et cetera. And then you're going to have the uniparty try to do what the uniparty always does. They're already posturing messaging that, Hey, if we, you know, if this, you know, if, if you guys don't, you know, basically, you know, come up, come on board and join the team. That's what they always say. Then the government's going to shut down and we won't be able to continue these investigations that quite frankly, they never wanted to do in the first place. Um, and so it's going to be, it's just going to be another fight and we're going to see who wins. Unfortunately, we always find ourselves in the minority with, you know, much smaller numbers, as you guys know. Um, so I, I try and keep my expectations managed. Um, but you know, you're just, I think you're going to see another fight in September. Yeah, and, and you're also going to be not looking forward to signing anything that has, like, omnibus or just bloated continuing resolution on it as well, much like the congressmen have alluded to have come on the show the last couple of weeks? Not not a chance, guys. I mean, the, you know, this, is, this has been uh, pretty steady for me the entire time. You know, I mean, um, I hate to I hate to sit here and, you know, bag on uh, Republican leadership, but this is one of the reasons that I didn't vote for Kevin McCarthy because, you know, I was pretty confident that if, if we had Kevin McCarthy as the Speaker of the House, we were going to get more of the same. That's exactly what we've got. Um, you know, it's even when I look back to the debt ceiling fight, we were told, hey, if you guys just come on board and join the team and help us with this this vote, we'll, we'll tackle the spending problems through appropriations. We'll do the 12 appropriations bills. Uh, you guys have seen that 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 hasn't happened. Uh, big shocker. Um, so, you know, it's like it's frustrating, guys. It's frustrating. You, you said it yourself. I am a realist, um, you know, and and uh, I don't make I'm not going to make predictions on what what's going to happen. But I do believe I know there's going to be a fight. We'll see who we'll see who wins. I hope some of my more moderate Republican friends will recognize that once again, we're not much different from the Democrats. We're basically heading down a trajectory of. Um, reauthorizing and appropriating, um, you know, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer's, you know, budget that that's where we're headed. And if if a handful of us can't stop them, that's exactly that's exactly what the American people are going to get. I mean, that's it right there. We don't like to listen. We would like victory after victory, but we try to explain to our listenerships because here's the biggest thing that frustrates me, Congressman. I'm sure you could allude to this. I mean, I know you don't live on social media. You guys post the work that you've been doing. You're not like one of the congressmen. There are some who go out and, and go tit for tat with constituents, but that doesn't really get anything done. But it's like every time I see congressmen who I know are America first, who I know are, you know, holding it down in the Freedom Caucus, the, the ones I know that didn't vote for Kevin McCarthy posting stuff online and then every single person in their comments is like, do something or, you know, you guys are all the same. And that's not the that's not the case. The case is it's a numbers game. You know, there's 435 members of Congress. There's like 
35 on the best day ever that are going to always vote with America first. It's usually a lot less. It's usually around 20. And, and the fact yeah. of the matter is, is like, wh- why don't we ever try to hold all the, there's so many other, there's 200 other Republicans on, on our side of the house who do absolutely nothing except rubber stamp the status quo. And, and we just don't focus enough attention on that because all it does is cause infighting. I mean, I get it, but the fact of the matter is, is that we could do a lot better job. You know, we really can. And, and, and it's guys like you that are holding the line. It shouldn't be that way, but unfortunately it is. And, uh, you know, you want to you want to segue and and talk about House leadership. Now, Kevin McCarthy has finally decided that he probably is going to open an inquiry into Joe Biden. I mean, Donald Trump would have been impeached five or six times by now just for mere allegations because that's what all of his impeachments were based on. Where we have actual physical receipts materializing on Joe Biden, new ones every day. It would have been five or six times before lunch. Truth, because we do know Nancy Pelosi likes to get to happy hour and she gets all of her work done in the morning. But here's the thing. When you see the non-assertiveness of House leadership right now, we know that you didn't vote for the Speaker and and that we're only moving into the inquiry and who knows where it's going to go after that. Is that just not enough for the American people? Or or do you think at this point it really doesn't even matter because, you know, we're essentially 12 months away from the next general election? Yeah, clearly, guys, it's not even close to enough. I I, I just see it as I just see it as slow walking. Try try and give them try and give the American people enough to where they're not, you know, tearing the place down. That that's what really all I see it. If, if, if they really were serious about it, um, they could get the ball. They could have gotten the ball rolling on this a long time ago. You know, they could have, and, and it's, it's not just with these investigations. It's also with getting our fiscal house in order. Yep. I, you, you name it. There's so many, there's so many ways that we could have used the leverage that we had. And of course we didn't do that. Um, basically because we elected somebody who, um, you know, is, it has been a part of the uniparty for a very long time. And so, um, you, know, you know, this is exactly what we deserve for that, that vote. And uh, no, it's not even close to enough for the American people. The American people are tired of the two tier justice system. They want to see us fight. They want to see us fight back. And it's just funny, guys, because as I go back to even that speaker fight in January, where there were 20 of us that started holding the line, I can't tell you guys, one of the most frustrating things was how many conservatives, quote unquote, conservatives that were beating us up, those of us that were trying to hold the line and, you know, calling us legislative terrorists and all of the all of these things. And now these same people that were beating the you know, 20 of us up that were trying to actually affect change and get you a speaker or leaders in there that would actually um, disrupt the status quo. Um, now these guys are complaining about, well, well, why aren't we doing anything? Well, one of the reasons we're not doing anything is because you didn't give us any air cover when we were trying to make changes in the house. Yep. That's why. And so, yeah, it is frustrating. And you're, you're right. I see those messages all the time where people are like, do something. And it's like, you know, I could sit here and I could try and be like Tom Brady after they lose a game or any pick your NFL quarterback and, you know, sit here somber and say, well, I, I didn't do enough. We didn't, we didn't play good enough. But the fact of the matter is, guys, we're not all pulling in the same direction, okay? This team, not everybody on this team is pulling in the same direction. And that's hard for me to say because I come from an environment where if the team is – I come from the SEAL teams. If you're not all pulling in the same direction, somebody could get killed, okay? But the problem is is that my voters sent me up here to affect change. They did not send me here to just, you know, vote the party line and resume status quo. And that's exactly what we've got. And, you know, it – it pisses me off, but at the same time, I'm. I'll, I'll tell. I'll tell you guys. I'll tell anybody out there. You know, it's like 
er, on on almost every single vote that I can think of, you know, I have tried to disrupt and affect change. But when you are, like you said, when you're 10% of your own party, um, you know, you're, you're probably not going to get, you're probably not going to be able to get a lot done. So um, I, I realize I'm frustrated guys, but that, that is what it is. No, it's the truth. And, you know, you talk about your, your prior service and, and just the figurative language up on Capitol Hill providing air cover for you guys. It's like for years, cover my ass meant one thing. But then when you get in the, in the one election cycle, you, Corey Mills, Wesley Hunt, Latrell, and a whole bunch of other veterans up there who, you know, wind up being part of the big America first vote, even though you guys are a, a smaller number in, in, in the grand scheme of things like Providing air cover means a whole different thing. And when those guys come back looking to, uh, you know, do a little secret handshake and say, hey, help me out on this vote or this, that, and the other thing, you guys are going to be like, no, <laughs> no, you guys are fucking crazy. You know, that's not the way this goes down. You, you, you're either going to, you know, be true all the time or it's just not going to go down. Congressman, last thing I want to touch with you on today, uh, you know, we saw it was kind of a slow news weekend with Labor Day and stuff. You know, everybody was out there working in their districts, and we've got some stuff going on in the presidential primary. So, you know, we see President Trump continuing to rise in the most recent polls. It looks like he's going to have a clear path to the nomination again, the all-elusive three-peat. We've been talking about some sports figures here on the show today. It's going to put him in a very elite category. But, uh, you know... At some point soon, the Trump campaign is going to be segueing towards the general election. We saw Joe Biden did speaking events in Wisconsin and in Pennsylvania last week, you know, making up stuff about Donald Trump not creating jobs and never building anything. We all know that that's absolutely false and not the truth. But, you know, as you see the way the ticket's shaping up right now and, and the overwhelming success nationally that Donald Trump has shared, do you feel like, you know, in your place up on Capitol Hill, that is going to be one of the only solutions that's going to get this country back on track to see him win the nomination, eventually the presidency? next fall 100 percent. you know it's why i endorsed him right off the bat you know just because and and i realize like everybody else that donald trump is far from perfect but in in this in this day and age that we live in in this hour in history we need the strongest baddest fighter we can bring to bear and donald trump is most certainly that individual and you can i mean all you have to do is look at how terrified the other side is of him, which is why they'll do anything to destroy him. It's why you see all the lawfare. I mean, we these guys will mess with elections. They will mess. They they will sue this guy to kingdom come. And I hope you know. It's like I hate to even say this, guys, but you know, you've heard others say it. I hope his security is really tight. Yeah, because we're not just talking about regular old politics anymore. There's so much at stake. Um, you're watching the United States right now teeter on whether or not we're going to save this thing or whether we're going to be a full-blown banana republic. Um, And you see hints of it every single day. They know Donald Trump is the biggest threat to saving it. That's why they got to take him out. And uh, that's why guys like me will, you know, do whatever we can to support him. You know, I do have to mention real quick before we cut with you, Congressman, I think you might like this one and maybe take it up to Capitol Hill next week. You talked about teetering on the verge of becoming a banana republic. Donald Trump has alluded to the same narrative as well. You know, my my co-host over here, Noah, came up with a good one. There's so many Republicans on our side of the House who just do nothing except rubber stamp for the establishment and watch our country teeter on the verge of essentially moving towards extinction. We've called them banana republicans here on the show. I don't know if you if you like that one, but listen— you may not be the ones going after President Trump, but if you're complicit in just standing there and willfully watching this country teeter off the side of the cliff and into oblivion, you're just as complicit as the Democrats and the deep state and the administrative state who are working hard to make sure it gets there. So I hope you uh, like that one. we got to give Noah credit for it, though. 
I like it. I actually like it a lot, guys. And the reason those banana Republicans get to, get to continue to serve and represent is because their voters don't pay attention. Mm-hmm. And if they if they do pay attention, you know, they they want a different America than I do, and that our that our founders wanted. Uh, I mean, it's it, it it breaks my heart, guys. As somebody who feels so blessed to have grown up in this country, so blessed to have gotten to serve this country, and a dad who's raising kids in this country. I want my kids to grow up with the same amounts of freedom and opportunity that all of us did. And right now that's, that's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen unless, you know, these banana Republicans wake up or their voters send them home period. No, you know what? We, we did a really good job last election cycle. We made a lot of great friends, yourself, all the other America First, Trump-endorsed uh, congressmen and women who come on the show. We're looking to extend that even more heading into the general election cycle and get you guys some help up there on Capitol Hill for sure. Congressman, we're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can we direct them? Uh, they can. Uh, you guys can find me all over. Rep. Eli Crane. Um, but we appreciate the opportunity to come on and I really appreciate that you guys uh, continue to hold down the airwaves and, uh, provide, provide air cover for us. Anything that we can to help make America great again. Honestly, it's the only job we do here on the show. This is the Congressman representing Arizona too. This is absolute warrior up on Capitol Hill. Representative UI Crane. Thanks for joining us. Thanks guys. God bless you. It's not July. It's not August. It's September. Trump is dominating the polls. You have some people on the side of the debate stage who are polling in the single digit. Should they get out? Look, I think uh, there's too many people in the field. You should not be in the race. If If you don't make the debate stage, you likely should consider getting out. If you're on the debate stage and you're willing to stand up and challenge Uh, The leader, that's at 50 percent. If you're unwilling to challenge Donald Trump, you should get off the stage. You know, uh, Ramaswamy, for example, is up there being a cheerleader and a fill in for Trump. Um, He shouldn't be running for president. He should. You know, he he obviously is trying to apply for a job for Trump. But if you're in there running for vice president or you're trying to be a cabinet secretary or you're trying to become famous or write a book or get on television, you should get the heck out of the race. Uh, We need to narrow it down to find a leader who can get the Republican Party back on the right track so and they can get us back to winning mm. elections again. It's not going to happen with 11 people in the race. Who specifically? Former Congressman Will Hurd didn't make the debate stage. Should he get out? You know, I, I, Will is a great friend. I have tremendous admiration he for him. I agree no with him on so many CIA. issues, but nah. it's, he's not going to be president. And uh, he didn't make the debate stage. And I think he contributes a lot to the discussion. Um, he and I see a lot of things eye to eye. But, yeah, I don't think that at this point he, he should be in the race. Well, that was pig face Larry Hogan. Sorry, you know, it was a slow Labor Day weekend, so we're getting a heap and helping of people like him today. And uh, we're going to play a little 2024 presidential primary roundup. So apparently to him, it's time for people to start getting out of the race. He's not saying people get out of the race and, and endorse Donald Trump. It's that the fraction of a percent of points that these bottom of the bottom feeders have uh, can go to people like, you know, Nikki Haley and Tim Scott and Ron DeSantis. I could really care less. It means nothing in the big scheme of things mm-hmm. or or anything really to do with Donald Trump. I also want to take a minute real quick. So, no, we just had a, a fiery but mostly peaceful segment with uh, Arizona Congressman Eli Crane. He is absolutely one of our favorites. Yeah, I love that guy. Tells it like it is. Mm-hmm. The more frequently that we have these congressmen and women come out on our show and and the level of comfortability that they get with us, it seems like you're able to – actually hear the way that they feel and not just the way that they usually talk when they go, let's say, on a television segment. Yeah, for sure. I think that's an absolute treat that we 
only here on Steak for Breakfast can regularly deliver to our listenership. And I promise you, as we continue on, uh, you know, through this campaign and when candidates start announcing and stuff again, we've already got a great slate of candidates lined up to come in starting at the end of September. And we're going to be bringing them, uh, you know, into your living rooms and your homes and your cars and your offices for the next year as we get ready to head into the the 2024 general election cycle. So it's going to be fantastic. And uh, so was he. And then, okay, Noah, so you got to hear Chris Lasavita for the first time. I mean, I've followed him for years. I, I've heard all the media that he's done this year, which isn't a lot. It says a lot when someone like that can come on your show and, and give your listenership, you know, 30 minutes, an inside look of the Trump campaign all the way down to, you know, basically the DNA, talking about the other people that are running it with him and and, and how things are going for, for President Trump in real time. What do you think of him? Yeah, he's good, man. Uh, I think we should be friends with him. Well, it sounded like he wanted to hang out when they came to uh, L.A. at the end of the month. So I, I feel like he's a cigar guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he's talked about frequently how when, when he's gotten a good book and he's gotten into it, he'd crush two bottles of wine and two packs of cigarettes in one night. Nice. So we'll have to get him some... Uh, Supplies here from from the Patriot Cigar Company as well. You know, getting into the primary roundup, there were people who were very present this weekend. I have to say, I saw Nikki Haley out there. Obviously, everybody's seen the gotcha video from Heather Mullins mm-hmm. uh, giving Mike Pence regurgitating his receipts again. And, uh, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy did a whole bunch of media. But then there were some who just didn't. I couldn't find anything on Chris Christie. I couldn't find anything on Tim Scott. It seems that, uh, you know, they're just kind of absent from the campaign trail and actually took the holiday for for what it was. So I saw on uh, Fox News yesterday the campaign advisor for Vivek Ramaswamy was part of a roundtable. Her name's Trisha McLaughlin. That's who I'm dealing with trying to get Vivek on the show. We spoke yesterday uh, briefly, and she said she's going to take a look at this week. Listen, We'd like to get him on here, and, and essentially we're going to ask him all the questions that everybody hasn't yet. We don't have to worry about, like, oh, why did you decide to run? Let's talk about your family, this, that, and the other thing. I'm looking to take where he's at right now, the, the national uh, stance on on different policy measures that he's taken and, and, and a couple other questions, you know, regarding his campaign and, and, and President Trump and, and turn that into a segment for you guys. So we'll, we'll get that nailed down as soon as possible. I mean, Noah got to hear a live receipt today that – they're going to do the best they can to get President Trump on the show. No, you think it's happening? I have to say I really hope so. Good. I mean, but I I, I feel like our window for a reasonable potential for that to happen is, is closing because as this stuff escalates and <laughs> – I wish they would have just did it last year before I know. he got indicted a whole bunch of times. I but. mean, even oh, not even just the indictments. I, I just feel like – He's just gonna have to keep his head down at some point and just mm-hmm. like just literally dodge the bullets. Like it's they're gonna keep coming at him. Well, we're gonna keep coming at Stephen Chong and Chris Lasavita until we can get Donald Trump on steak for breakfast for you guys. That's a promise I make to our listenership and one that we're working on every week. Getting back to this though, you know, ever since the debate and I would call it not really flip floppedness, but evolution of policy stances that Vivek Ramaswamy has made over the last couple of weeks. He's been hammered in the mainstream press because they find him as someone who is obviously currently overtaking Governor Ron DeSantis in a, in a couple of national polls, sending him back in places like New Hampshire all the way down to fourth. And, and she was reiterating on the fact that you got to be over the target if you're getting attacked by everybody. Let's hear it. Trisha, what do you make of the attacks? 
The establishment is absolutely coming after Vivek, whether it be Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, MSNBC, The New York Times, all of them coming after him. I think that shows he's right over the target. We're actually in New Hampshire today at the State Fair, and we're hearing from voters about real problems and real issues, not the, the Nikki Haley squabbles of the day. She's also completely wrong about Israel. Vivek has talked about implementing Abraham Accords 2.0, making our relationship with Israel even stronger than ever before. So she can keep on mischaracterizing his positions because she's establishment and she's threatened by his rise, but it's not going to change the truth. And truth is what Vivek is delivering here in New Hampshire today. To Trisha's point, Vivek is all over New Hampshire this weekend. Let's play a sample of him from this morning. We have a government that systematically believes that we the people can't handle the truth. If this campaign stands for one thing, it is that we the people, we can handle the truth. We demand the truth. We require the truth. This is why young people don't trust the government anymore. We don't trust the government when the government does not trust us back. Trust is a... Okay, so... Mm -hmm. I I don't disagree with him. But again, a lot of broad talking points, Mm -hmm. broad strokes... Not really pinpoint. It seems like every time he tries to zero in on a policy, whether it's, you know, crime or the border education or geopolitics, they they find like the one little thing they don't like or is outside of the normal scope of what the status quo is in Washington, D.C., and they hammer him on it. Mm. Uh, you know, but I, the, the guy literally sticks to his convictions, and, and for that reason I've got uh, some respect for him in regards to the campaign that he's been running. I think one of the biggest things he's pushed back on, and this is how his campaign has evolved as like the uh, outsider candidate of this election cycle in the best of the rest primary, you know, those vying for second place, as Chris Lasavita pointed out so gently earlier in the show, it doesn't really <laughs> matter, um, you know, but he's wanted to challenge all of the radical mafias that we have within our government in, in regards to special interests and lobby groups. And you're talking about those that pander to race, gender, sexuality, and of course, climate change. He did a podcast yesterday. Uh, I thought it was a really good clip of, of just exactly what we're all up against in this. Let's hear it. So if they're giving us race, gender, sexuality, and climate, I think we would do better to talk more about the value of the individual, the family the nation, and God. I think individual, family, nation, God beats race, gender, sexuality, and climate. And so far in the Republican Party, we have a bunch of partisan hacks that recite slogans. They're handed down in a binder, criticizing them. What do they teach us even for the debate? What are the debate, mm-hmm. standard debate wisdom and preparation is? You look at the super PAC leak of, you know, the uh, which one was it? Was the DeSantis camp that had their super PAC leak, their memo, criticized Biden at least three to five times. And that's the traditional advice that all the candidates will get. The way I look at it is, first of all, it's super robotic. But second of all, you're missing the point if you're criticizing Biden. He's a puppet. Yeah. Zelensky's a puppet. Biden's a puppet. We have to actually have a vision of our own. And the left is actually good at this. The left will give you a vision. They will. It's the wrong vision, but they'll give you a vision. And the alternative side, the Republican Party is so pathetic that it has not for years offered an affirmative vision. Now, Trump actually brought a new, at least, character to the Republican Party, and that's good. He still he still but, fa- fails a little bit. But we got to say, painting, what, do we, yeah. what do we actually stand for? What are we running yes. to? And so in a certain sense, yes, I think we need that to actually have an alternative vision that dilutes the other side's poison to irrelevance. And people say, oh, are you just a lot eloquent talking in a, you know, no, in, I don't in a, think in anybody... a nice way? Good. I want to use the gifts I have been given yeah. to stand for an actual vision that contributes. 
I don't hate it. Yeah, no. You know, when they go back and forth about Trump failing, here's the thing. The vision, which is what the Republican Party is turning into right now, and it's a huge debate that we're going to be having now for the next 12, 13 months, Noah, is traditional conservatism versus populism. Mm. And, and, I mean, America first is an extremely large part of the Republican base right now. And traditional conservatism, here's the thing. Growing up and watching politics over the years, Noah, and you saw the Bushes, the Reagans, and everybody else in between, right? Thinking that the America first anti-war Republican candidate would not only win an election in 2016, but get 13 million more votes four years later and now be on a trajectory to be the Republican nominee and, and garner the three-peat. It's not the way that the world works these days. I mean, the deep state and the establishment status quo has tried to forever just let you think that... Oh, they're dug in deep. War is great, and you being poor is even better. Eats the bugs. And Donald Trump gave us a little, you know, window into what real American prosperity could look like. I also think, you know, Vivek had it twisted around. He talked about family, nation, and God. I think we can all agree here on the show it's God, family, and country uh, in that order. We have to understand these lobby groups and special interests and the international billionaire donor class need us to lose for them to survive. Yeah, and the military-industrial complex. Sure. I mean, it's all part of it. And, you know, when, when you talk about how they're pandering to the trans community right now and how you see, like, Latinos and Africans-Americans across the country who feel very disenfranchised and a lot of promises unfulfilled from this administration, you know, it's it, it's one of those things where... They're just pandering to the weak links of society, though, at this point, yeah, really. And that's why they start pandering to things that don't even exist, yeah. like, like climate change. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it, you can't put a vote on climate change, but you can have the billions of dollars of international backing by pandering to it and uh, telling everybody that, like, windmills and electric cars are better than gas, diesel, and, and good old American grit. Have you seen the, the wind turbine the graveyards that they have where it's just acres and acres and acres of these fiberglass pieces that... I mean, most of this shit's going in the landfills. What about the EV uh, vehicle graveyards or the solar panel graveyards? Yeah. It's nuts. It's yeah, because just... the usable life on this stuff is not forever. And as those things degrade, like you can't have like a giant several ton, I would assume, thing spinning above you if it's not solid and good to go. So like those things, they have to just chop them down every once in a while. And where are you going to put all that shit? Yeah. That's... Like they don't even know how to recycle it yet. Nope. And that should be like, okay, we're going to do all this shit that's supposed to be good for the planet. Like maybe rule number one would be, what are we going to do with the shit that's left over when it's not usable anymore, not serviceable anymore? Can't burn it, climate change. Can't throw it in the ocean, climate change. (laughs) You could probably make a reef out of it. That's true. Oh, well, like solar panels and stuff though? Yeah, I don't know. Me either. Or EV vehicles, you want all those. The new Tesla reef? Mm. (laughs) You listen to Elon? I saw Nikki Haley. She jumped on Sunday morning, defaced the nation, talking about Congress and talking about spending, leaving China and Russia out of it for once. Let's check it out. 
She's one of many that are going to throw things on the table like that. What I'm saying is Congress needs to do their job. Balance a budget. I have said I will veto any spending bill that doesn't take us back to pre-COVID levels. Except the war. only group that talks about closing down the government or playing these games are members of Congress. The American people aren't talking about that. The American people are telling Congress, do your job. Balance a budget. Stop the spending. Stop the borrowing. Eliminate the earmarks. Claw back the hundreds of billions of dollars of unspent COVID dollars. Right. Go after, instead of 87,000 IRS agents going after middle America, Stop go it. after the hundreds of billions of dollars of COVID fraud that we know exist. These political games, the American people have no, no use for it. They just want them to do their job. It's not that hard. Over the it's why I continue to say we've got way too many lawyers in Congress. We need an accountant. I'm an accountant. That's why I want to put an end to this and start having government work for the people again. Oh, God. Mm. That was the lowest IQ take of the weekend. And and the fact of the matter is, is that we have so many people from Congress who come up here who are literally working on this stuff right now. Nikki Haley, in, in that clip right there, is literally pandering to the political retards who know nothing except, like, tell me which candidate to vote for, daddy. There is no balancing the budget. There is no eliminating wasteful spending. There is no getting rid of earmarks and all that other shit that she was talking about. Because of the way the numbers work in Congress. When you have, again, minimum 20, maximum 35-ish on a good day who are going to vote for all those things, and the rest of the Republican side of the House will vote with whatever it takes to keep the government open because they're scared their constituents are going to get mad because it gets shut down, aren't helping at all. They don't give a shit. They know they're always going to get reelected or they're just riding it out until they're out of office. And then when you talk on the Democrat side, you know, it's a razor-thin margin in the House. What is it, 10, 10 reps? And, mm -hmm. and in that breath, you have some of the most wasteful spending in the history of the universe uh, from Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. So good fucking luck with that because Joe Biden will sign whatever those two retards get to his desk. And, uh, you know, him, Hakeem Jeffries has been just as bad as Pelosi was, and I'm sure he's taken a whole bunch of pointers on, from her on the upcoming budget uh, battle that they're both, you know, set to, to weigh in on when we get back up to Capitol Hill next week, as Congressman Eli Crane alluded to. So it's good to talk about all that stuff, but when you don't mean it or it's not the reality, all you're doing is talking to the people who don't know shit about politics, and it doesn't serve anyone. It's not going to improve her standing in this you know, Republican primary at all. And, uh, you know, when Donald Trump gets in, in the vicinity of her, he'll, he'll have to explain it to her real hard how, how Congress works because for someone that, you know, supposedly served there as a senator, she's long forgotten how it's been. So, you know, it's uh, rounding up here, kind of a whatever blah, blah news week, but it's like we talked about with Christina Bob when, when, the, when the hot takes of the weekend are coming in from never America <laughs> commentators like Donna Brazil. It's uh, interesting. I've got a couple from left and we're going to jump in with her first. I have to say something because George, I'm old enough to say this. Uh, I've seen two movements outside of the social justice movements in my life on the political side. One was the Reagan movement. Reagan had 
a hold on his base, the country at large. They saw him as someone who was willing to stand up for American values, whatever that might have meant. Now, I thought it was reactionary. Uh, the other movement I saw was, was Barack Obama, hope and change. That galvanized the American people. I've never seen anything like this with Donald Trump. I mean, what doesn't kill you make you stronger? I mean, being convicted, I mean, being indicted, that's making him stronger? Raising $10 million using an ugly mug shot? Uh, to raise money, this is a movement. And anyone who thinks that you can apply the old political rules to trying to defeat this candidate based on he's scary, he's ugly, whatever you might want to call him, this is a movement. And we have to respect the fact that it's a movement. All right, Noah, what do you think about that? You know, that's, that's, that's one of the left's biggest political operatives and consultants admitting that America First is not something to sneeze at or ignore. And it seems like no matter what they've thrown at them this far, we've listened to an entire weekend of hypothesizing on the 14th Amendment and third party candidates outside of somebody like Colonel West. And, and, you know, it's just she is completely aware that Donald Trump is alive and well and that the movement is something to take very seriously. So, I mean, we've we've already heard from a person who knows exactly what's going on, that the 14th Amendment thing. That's not even on the table. It's 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 a fucking joke. It's a farce. Sure. It's literally just bullshit media fodder for them to just fucking get people foaming at the mouth about nonsense as usual. As far as the other stuff, I mean, there's <laughs> it's it's Teflon done. There, there's nothing that's gonna stick to this guy. Everything else, like everything they've thrown at him, has been bullshit, made up, fake, and. Like, there's no way that people can ignore it anymore. No, they sure can't. And, you know, just a warning for all of those governors out there, both Republican and Democrat, who think, like, a good grift or virtue single would be uh, trying to get through your state legislator, Donald Trump, off the ballot in 2024. Yeah, good luck. N- not only is that not going to end up well for you in court, I think the constituents of your states are going to have something a little bit more than uh, Trump rally S to say about that as mm-hmm. well. Uh, when you try to take, uh, when you try to remove the clear-cut Republican nominee at this point off the ballot, um, you know, with the rest of the field showing no signs of resuscitating their campaigns or lack thereof, and uh, you know, just want to touch on poll numbers real quick. Want to remind everybody also wherever you're listening to the show today, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, make sure you subscribe to the show. Give us a five-star. Rating and leave a review. Also on social media is Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast podcast accounts. Hit the notification bell. And everything that's coming out directly related to the show will then be delivered to you. Also want to remind everybody in just a few minutes we're going to be sitting down with uh, a law clerk from the McBride Law Center over in New York City. Also uh, Donald Trump's favorite Substack writer, Paul Ingrassia of the New York Young Republican Club, will be joining us as well. So can't wait to sit down and catch up on all the great work that he's been doing lately. 2024 National Republican Primary Poll that came out yesterday has Donald Trump at 59% ahead of Ron DeSantis, who sits at 13, Nikki Haley at 8, Vivek Ramaswamy at 5, Chris Christie at 3, Mike Pence at 2, Tim Scott at 1, and Ada Hutchinson at 1% as well. Also saw the Wall Street Journal put out a poll uh, yesterday as well in regards to the head-to-head matchup. It had Joe Biden and Donald Trump deadlocked at 46%. That was without a third-party candidate. And in our last audio clip of the day, I picked up a little bit of a heater from CNN this morning who was both coping and seething over some of the recent polls that came out over the Labor Day weekend. Let's check it out. 
Well, Dana, we're seeing what is basically a one-man race for the Republican presidential nomination. Take a look here. Our brand-new numbers in this poll conducted by SSRS among Republican and Republican-leaning voters. You have Donald Trump at 52% majority support. Ron DeSantis is next in line here, way back at 18%. Everyone else is in single digits. This is a one-man race. And look at where we had it in June. And you see the movement here. Donald Trump is getting stronger as a frontrunner. He is up five percentage points compared to where he was in June. And look at Ron DeSantis. He is slipping. He's down <laughs> eight percentage points from where he was in June. You see Oof. little margin of error movement except for Ramaswamy, who's also up five points uh, since June, but is still in mid-single digits here. So right now you're seeing a Donald Trump-dominated race, and Donald Trump's getting... Listen. Yep. Welcome to reality, mm-hmm. mainstream media. Enjoy it. Put it in your mouth. It's delicious. It tastes so yummy. Mm. And, and, you know, that's the thing. At some point, and it's not because of credibility or anything like that, they're going to have to start reporting on these things because, you know, we're a couple months away from the first primary in caucuses. What are you going to do when Donald Trump walks to the first five and be like, oh, nobody saw this coming. We thought he was so scandal-ridden and plagued with issues that there was no way that he could beat you know, Ron DeSantis. Or- Even though we made up all the issues. Exactly. And, and that's, I think, one of the biggest points that were taken away. There was a lot of misinformation, disinformation, and fake news that was delivered directly to the American public throughout the course of the weekend. We tried to cut through it with you guys, both within the, you know, the context of our interviews and by going over these clips and debunking kind of in real time for y'all just exactly what you should and shouldn't be listening to. And, uh, you know, I think we did a decent job of it. So as we're getting ready to jump in with Paul and Gracia right here and uh, wrap up the show, we're looking forward to sitting down with him. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, Our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. You enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's a law clerk over at the McBride Law Center in New York City. He's also on the board of advisors for the New York Young Republican Club, our favorite club. He also is the author of President Trump's favorite substack, Mr. Paul Gracias. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Great to be with you guys again. How's everything going? It's always a pleasure. Pleasure hosting you. What's news on your end? So I guess now that we're in September, we're starting to turn the page a little bit on the Trump campaign. I think we're starting to pivot as we've seen in sort of these last few weeks of August towards directing our focus now on the general election as opposed to, you know, the, the primary process. I mean, his poll numbers right now are 50, 60, 70 points ahead of his nearest competition. I saw news this morning that Nikki Haley now is um, superseding Ron DeSantis in the polls. So the fact that that guy is still in this race at this point, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm perplexed why, why he has not dropped out. And then there was a lot of news this past weekend, which we could go into maybe a little later about how um, Laura Loomer sort of uncovered this um, basically what amounts to a color revolution in the state of Florida, where Ukrainian Nazis were in collusion with the intelligence agencies, the CIA, 
um, and they were basically protesting in the state of Florida, um, attempting to under, undermine Trump and the MAGA movement. So a lot of issues going going on right now in Ron's home state of Florida, and you know he he should basically return there and, and resolve those and throw his support behind President Trump. Yeah, it's pretty wild that we haven't been able to uh, see, I, see I more hate people. Ukraine Nazis. Everybody hates Ukraine Nazis. <laughs> no, but that's the thing. Let's just stay in that thread. We'll start off with Ron DeSantis first. So he was celebrated in the mainstream media for going back to Florida. He, he had been living in Iowa for the last couple months, uh, even though his poll numbers don't really reflect any kind of yeah. bump from doing so. Uh, to do his job during a hurricane, which was a big deal. There was a couple deaths, a lot of property damage, of course, massive flooding, as we all saw in the media. But I just didn't like the fact that, you know, they found like the one tree on his property that tipped over for him to do all of his TV spots in front of. I, I thought know. it was in really bad taste and, and kind of, you know, unprofessional. They, I, I know you look for the optics effect, but it really didn't do it for me because we, we track everything that's going on with the campaign so hard here on the show. Um, but it, it just seems like they're stagnant right now. They're not doing anything. There's there's a lot of you know shit talk from some of their you know, D tier influencers online, if you could even call them that anymore. But as far as the pack goes, you hear more rumors about them folding up or or packs that were you know Ron DeSantis aligned or adjacent, getting ready to throw their support behind President Trump. It seems like the writing's on the wall. How much longer do you think this lasts, Paul? Um, well, the fact that he's still in the race at this point is, as I said earlier, it's, it's, it's mind boggling. I can't believe, I don't know what he's trying to get out of it. I think he's part of a covert sort of psyop to, I mean, this has been the case all along to derail the MAGA movement. He's basically a vessel for, uh, the elite party interests within the Republican establishment. And, uh, you know, I think something even more sinister may be afoot based on sort of this news over this past weekend regarding these Ukrainian Nazis within the state of Florida. I mean, what are they doing there? Why is this happening under his watch? Why hasn't he done anything yet to, um, you know, first of all, support Donald Trump, but also investigate what is going on within his home state, within his own backyard? I also suggested that he should be doing more to um, get Brian Kemp, which is obviously in neighboring Georgia, to defund this ridiculous sham uh, indictment witch hunt against Donald Trump there. I mean, he should at least be putting soft pressure on uh, Brian Kemp, at least issuing a statement and saying this is totally unconstitutional and we need to, um, you know, we need to basically form a unified coalition at this point and support Donald Trump and throw all our support behind him. I mean, if that were the case, if the Republican Party were even like 40 or 50 percent aligned around Donald Trump, you wouldn't be seeing uh, all these indictments against him. You wouldn't be seeing um, basically this political persecution against Penn, uh, Ken Paxton in the state of Florida, in the state of Texas. You wouldn't be seeing this widespread, um, you know, witch hunt against the MAGA movement and, you know, rumors circulating now that the FBI is going to go after a thousand more uh, patriots who were there on the January 6th event, uh, peacefully protesting for the most part. So all of this can be stopped if we were unified and aligned around the central goal which should be winning the white house in 2024 with president trump as the party nominee um that's why the left has been able to steamroll us even though they themselves are pretty incompetent i mean they're they're president they're, they're the the man who pretends to be president right now is basically brain dead and yet they've been able to align around him and do so much damage against our movement so i think you know, if we just had, you know, 50% of the unity that their side has, we would not be in such a dire state right now. And a lot of that goes to back to Ron DeSantis. 
and governors like Brian Kemp, who I consider those two being the two worst governors in our country right now because they are doing more to divide the movement than anything else. Yeah, and they've got their, uh, you know, drawn a line in the sand. It doesn't seem like they're going to go back from. I really do feel like this is the end for Ron DeSantis as far as politics goes. And then when you look at Brian Kemp, someone who was wisely staying out of the race because he was just never going to get any of the MAGA vote in this election cycle, uh, his mm-hmm. behavior since the Fannie Willis indictments have pretty much sealed the fact that he'll never win anything outside of a statewide election in, in Georgia ever again. He won't be a national-level candidate, and MAGA won't forget what he hasn't done. Uh, Paul, why don't you elaborate a little bit on that story that Laura Loomer broke over the weekend? I mean, I know we saw one of the people that were at the head of this controversial thing going down in Florida with the Ukrainian Nazis recruitment going down there. Uh, it was one of the people who was present on, on January 6th as well, and it just seems to be a pretty big spider net web that's that's just getting larger the more uh, receipts get produced here. Yeah, I mean, I think she was like driving back from wherever she was. I think she was in South Florida and driving back home or something, and she saw these protesters on the side of the road and um, immediately um, – she rightly thought they were feds. I think she pulled over. She talked to them. And um, all these guys were on like CIA watch list. They're being identified now as people who were feds and other sort of organizations. And, um, you know, it, it's just so obvious what they're doing. I think the bigger story, though, is these groups are forming in Florida because Ron DeSantis has left a vacuum there because yep. he's still focused on campaigning and being a distraction and putting money where that should be in Donald Trump's corner from big time Republican donors, he's, he's gobbling that attention and resources up. Um, And, you know, now Donald Trump has to focus on states like Iowa and New Hampshire, whereas Joe Biden and uh, his wife, Jill Biden, the Biden administration has visited Wisconsin, which obviously is a key battleground state and basically necessary to win us uh, back into the white house in 2024, they've been visiting Wisconsin, um, you know, multiple times over the past several months, Donald Trump has not had that opportunity because he's had to focus on this ridiculous primary process. I mean, the fact that it's still dragging out and dragging on into the, into September now of this calendar year is ridiculous. Um, so, and, you know, it just goes to show how much of an obstacle the Republican, um, the other contenders are in this throwing a wrench into this process. Um, you know, uh, Mike Pence, Vivek Ramaswamy and a few other Republican contenders were in New Hampshire this past weekend. One of my friends was there on the ground and talking to them and Mike Pence, uh, being interviewed about again, how he, um, it was not his constitutional duty to overturn the presidential election in 2020. First of all, like he was never asked to overturn the election results He was only asked to uh, basically put it back in the hands of the Senate who would, you know, go into an investigation into whether um, the outcomes in a few key states like Georgia, Arizona and Pennsylvania were um, were were consistent with the state law and state procedures at the time. They were he was not being asked to overturn the presidential election. So it just goes to show how out of touch the party establishment is. With the base, they've always been out of touch, and, and it's not just a matter of being ignorant. They're there for a purpose. They're yep. there yep. to um, do the bidding of the deep state. So it's it's ridiculous what's going on. All these forces sort of at play. But Donald Trump's momentum, as we have seen, um, you know, based on the amount of money he's raised 
in the aftermath of this mugshot, I mean, $20 million, I think, um, <laughs> you know, over the past like three or four weeks. So he's, he's in a good, good state right now. Um, given his own campaign, I think he should remain, um, in Bedminster through the winter season. I mean, that would be my recommendation. Agreed. I think he should stay out of en- enemy territory in the state of Florida at this point. I think he pretty much has that state in the bag anyway. And um, Floridians obviously overwhelmingly prefer Donald Trump over Ron DeSantis. I feel sure. like I feel like that's what somebody needs to correct that Yahoo Pence next time he starts spouting off that rehearsed line that he has about that. It's like, uh, sir, nobody's asking you to do that. What they asked you to do was actually what your job was in that position. Yeah, before they changed the law in, yeah. in Congress this year. No, it was a good receipt from Heather Mullins over the weekend. We love all the work she usually does on the ground. And uh, I'm going to get her back on again. Yeah, we we do. I talked to her on Instagram the other day. She's She's got some dates toward the end of September. Maybe she can join us. Paul, last thing I want to touch with you on, obviously it's very important. Uh, you know, we're huge fans of your Substack here on the show. Probably not as much as President Trump, who shares just about all of them. <laughs> We want to be able to direct everyone to check them out. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the latest one you, you, you cranked out here over the weekend and uh, where they could find it? Well, my Substack. thank you very much for the pitch. It's Paul Ingrassia, P-A-U-L-I-N-G-R-A-S-S-I-A dot substack dot com. Nice Italian name. Um, I just wrote two articles. I'm in the process of writing actually a second article um, regarding the Patriot Freedom Project, which is an advocacy organization founded by Cynthia Hughes She's great. for January 6th defendants. So I'm writing that one right now. I wrote one um, about my friends from LFA TV over the past weekend saying that they're one of the most pro-Trump um, networks um, within alternative news. Obviously, you guys are, are another ma- a big platform for that. So that was the one that came out today. I'll be writing more Trump-specific pieces and hopefully a little shorter pieces um, You know, in the weeks ahead. We have a big month um, prepared for the month of September. So definitely uh, subscribe to my Substack, your viewers, your listeners. I, I've heard overwhelmingly positive things from your listeners uh, from my past appearances on this show. So I, I appreciate their support. And as you said, President Trump loves retweeting my Substack. He loves retweeting Laura, Roger Stone, a few others. And that's the way we're getting the news out this election cycle, getting the, the the breaking through the mainstream narrative, which is still very hostile to Donald Trump, especially older people sure. who continue to watch CNN, Fox News. You know, they're still very much in the mindset that Trump is the enemy and he can't win in 2024. And we have to do our part to reverse and undo sort of that damage, that brainwashing that's being done by the mainstream media. Oh, you nailed it on the head right there, Paul. We're going to live link that in the show description today. And for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out as well? They can follow me on Twitter, um, Substack again, Instagram. I'm all over the place. Rumble, <laughs> Paul and Gracia everywhere. Um, and again, P-A-U-L-I-N-G-R-A-S-S-I-A. We've got some uh, live links in the show description for you today, sir. This is the law clerk over at McBride Law Center, NYC. He's also on the board of advisors for the New York Young Republicans Club the author of President Trump's favorite substack, Mr. Paul Ingrassia. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you, guys. Back in the saddle. What do you think, Noah? Back in the saddle again. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now over 270 other editions of the show, you better resubscribe to us across every downloadable podcasting platform or on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review. And don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share steak for breakfast content in addition to that across all our social medias twitter getter true social and instagram find the steak for breakfast podcast account follow it and hit the notification bell we want to thank all of our guests for coming down and spending some time with us today attorney for save america and the trump campaign miss christina bob 
Arizona Congressman Eli Crane, Donald Trump's favorite Substack author, Paul Ingracia, and the National Campaign Advisor for Trump 2024, Chris Lasavita. They definitely helped make steak great again. Guys, I know it's Tuesday. It was kind of a boring news weekend, but don't worry. We'll be back on Friday with an absolute heater of a show coming in hot. Former FBI agent Steve Friend, D.C. Young Republican Chair, Kings and Cortez, former congressional candidate J.R. Majewski, and current Congressman Pat Fallon will all be joining us. So on behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah, later. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week, and take care. Hey, what's going on? Ah, those bums won their court case, so they're marching today. What bums? The fucking Nazi party. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. I'm not dead. What? Nothing. Here's your ninepence. I'm not dead. Yeah. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not. He isn't? Well, he will be soon. He's very ill. I'm getting better. No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. Oh, I can't take him like that. It's against regulations. I don't want to go with the car. Oh, don't be such a baby. I can't take him. I feel fine. Well, do us a favour. I can't. Well, can you hang around a couple of minutes? He won't be long. No, I've got to go to Robinson's. They've lost nine today. Well, when's your next run? Thursday. You think I'll go for a walk? You're not fooling anyone, you know. Look, there's no something you can do. I feel happy. I feel happy. Ah, oh, thanks very much. Not at all. See you on Thursday. Right, right.